0: It's the Sports Bash, live from Mandalay Bay on Radio Row in Las Vegas, home of Super Bowl 58. Here's Mike Gill and Scott Grayson. We are live on Radio Row, Mandalay Bay, Mike and Scott the Sports Bash, live, 97.3 ESPN. Holy moly, it is nuts out here already. Taking a deep breath, Scott Grayson. Um... What's happening, everyone? We are on Radio Row, which means uh, you will hear some great stories, some great storytelling, some great guests all week long. Scott and I have been doing this together for, I think, five, six Super Bowls now? Yeah, something like that. It's been a good run. And we look forward to um, doing it all week long here in Vegas. Um, coming up in about 20 minutes from now, uh, Scott, uh, not Scott Grayson, uh, Zach Berman from the PHLY covers the Eagles He's going to join us. we got some Eagles stuff today because Scott and I have an interview coming up a little bit later on in the show. We're going to start it off by telling you we got a chance to catch up with Fletcher Cox earlier this morning here in Vegas. You will hear that interview coming up later on in the show, but we will be playing some snippets from that interview, which I thought he had some very intriguing. We had him for a very short time, by the way. We did. Uh, He happened to see... 97-3, 97-3, the Eagles affiliate. He wanted to talk to the Philly fans. He gave us a quick couple minutes. But in the couple minutes, he gave us a bunch there. So drop some nuggets. He definitely dropped some nuggets. Uh, will Fletcher Cox play next year? Why does he think the season ended the way it did? And Vic Fangio being hired, does that impact his decision on whether he will be back next year? So that's coming up later. Also, we did get to see... Dr. David Chow, the pro football doc that everybody follows on Twitter except for Billy Schwime, He had no idea who he was. Uh, by the way, Schwime is out here as our on-site producer this year, so this has been a treat to begin with. Um, so, the um, Dr. Dr. Chow is out here, and I saw them, and we grabbed him and had a conversation about his thoughts on Joel Embiid's knee, so you'll hear that later on today. Ah, boy, we got football for Adam Kaplan is actually here at the Super Bowl, so he's going to join us in the 4 o'clock spot as normal. Mike Lombardi, former uh, NFL GM, uh, local guy. He has a book out on football and being the GM and all that stuff. We'll hear his thoughts on what is Howie uh, Roseman's blueprint for this offseason. If Mike Lombardi was the GM of the Eagles... What would his blueprint be for the offseason? Yeah. So we're going to get into that with him.
1: Yeah, I think there's a lot of good things to unpack there, potentially. Uh, the, the best part about all this, Mike, is we don't exactly know where we're going to go in the next three days, right? <laughs> People That's sit sure. down here, and, and there's guests we're going to have we aren't aware of yet. There's guests that we are booked already that are going to come in. And you don't always know where the conversation is going to go, but like we found out already with Fletcher Cox it is so good to be here because you do find things out and you're here and able to to investigate those and ask the questions and get some answers and pass them on to everybody back home
0: well quite frankly if we weren't here we would not have got a chance to talk to fletcher cox and get the conversation we did from him you were on the airplane with one jordan Mylata.
1: i have two questions about that did he fit in the seat well waiting to get on when they called first class he didn't go right away and i thought there's no way that this man is and he was traveling with his wife are, are, there's no way he's not sitting in first class. So I got on the plane. I take my seat, and then I see him coming behind, and I'm thinking, okay. And he sat down in the last row of first class. Uh, he was about two rows in front of me. I did go up and say hi to him. He's going to be around here tomorrow. I'm hoping we might be able to find a way to uh, to get him on and talk to, talk to him. Um, so we'll stay tuned for that. But, yeah, it's, it's interesting flying with a guy that big. Yeah. And, uh, you know, he's watching a Disney movie at one point. I, was, I could see a screen of the, uh, up there in first class. So, yeah, that is uh,
0: – hey, there's Tony Bruno. There's Tony TV. Bruno. There he is, the man, the myth, the legend. That's uh, what you see just kind of walking around. You've got um, all sorts of craziness happening. Tony Bruno, what's up? How are you? What's up, Beautiful, Tony? man. Um, yeah, it, it is one of those things where – you're just kind of head is spinning around as, as many people who over the years have listened to these shows but i'll tell you what being in vegas you can already sense like the buzz is starting to build like we got off the airplane last night and i'll tell you there was no sign of the super bowl at the airport
1: no it was crazy well so you're landing and i know we were on different airplanes and and we had the same experience so we saw the sphere yep right so the sphere is actually a big deal here and it is kind of cool to see in person um, and we haven't really had the chance to see a whole lot yet, but that was something you noticed. You're right. Not very much sign no signage at the airport. None. Um, and then just the hotels and the, everything here, people who've been to Vegas know it's just so massive. Uh, and, and this is the first time on Radio Row, Mike, we've had uh, slot machines about 20 feet away. That's
0: right. The slot machines are prevalent. Uh, it is a good spot. I do want to thank, though, before we start with our show and kind of set up the day and what's happening this week. Uh, we love being here. I will say this: people, we're in Vegas and it's great and it's cool. But we are here to put on a show for you guys and get information and and tell stories and and let you guys, you know, experience uh, a little bit of Super Bowl week. We try our best. You know, there's so many people out here that we try to catch up with and run down, and we want to put that on. But it's not possible without Ernest and Sons Meat Market, my guy Mel and the team over there. They're in Brigantine. It's their reputation as the big game headquarters. They're open seven days a week from nine to four. Order early for your Super Bowl parties and Ernest and Sons, old fashioned meat market, big game catering delivery or pickup, you gotta get them for the Super Bowl. They will do they I've had them cater my parties outstanding, excellent. And listen, I don't live in Brigantine and I will drive to Brigantine to go pick up my tray from Ernest and Sons. And then Clark's moving in storage. They moved me when I moved from Vetner. To egg harbor township that's who moved me clark's moving and storage they did it moving's a breeze with clark's moving and storage and they are supporting our shows on radio row this week so if you're in the in the market you got to move i wouldn't recommend moving and don't call your friend to ask them to help you move <laughs> that's not cool either call clark's moving and storage so we're going to set the show in a little bit of the week what we got for you uh, coming up today Zach Berman, P-H-L-Y. You might say, okay, Zach Berman's going to talk Eagles. But we're going to set up that conversation with the comment we got from Fletcher Cox. And then we'll get Berman's reaction to that. Now, he might already have some insight on this. So that'll be interesting to hear when he hears that coming from Fletcher. So that's coming up uh, at 2.20 today. Sean Merriman, the uh, all-pro linebacker. um, The all-pro linebacker is... Is uh, going to be on at 3 o'clock. And we had him on last year. He's a blast. Yeah, he's
1: great. Yeah. He, he is
0: just a great guy to talk to. Um, Adam Kaplan, football at 4. Brian Woods. Now, you might not know Brian Woods' name. So, what we try to do at times is find storytellers, find interesting people. Brian Woods was the guy who founded the USFL, the, the reincarnation. He is now, of course, USFL merged with the XFL, starting a new league. And Josh will probably be interested in this interview and people who like college football and that kind of stuff. But it is a new spring league that is going to try to help with NIL stuff for these college athletes. So we're going to let him tell a little bit about that and what's happening. Eric Kramer is going to join us. Now, how many people listening remember the quarterback, Eric Kramer, from the Detroit Lions? He is the last Lions quarterback to win a playoff game previous to this season
1: that really dates it. Yeah, a teammate of Barry Sanders as you talked about. Uh certainly a so it's going to be interesting to hear his insight. And, and I feel like we in, in, in the Philadelphia area can identify with Detroit a little bit from the, they're the underdogs. They were kind of that story. You wanted them to get here. I really wish they were here. It would have been a fascinating story. So for his insight on what that's like to have, have won a playoff game in Detroit.
0: Yeah. And just to kind of hear like what it's like to play in that city with all the losing and now see where they are. I think Eric Kramer is going to be a fascinating story today. At five o'clock and then we told you Mike Lombardi the former GM you know what does Howie Roseman need to do what's the blueprint for this offseason Scott Grayson from Grayson's grades what is Howie Roseman's first order of business what do you want to see him take care
1: of I think one two three all need to be defensive related they've got to figure out personnel on defense uh, and I think Michael probably agree with that um, and the question is, then, how do you go about that? What's the method to the madness there? Um, but I think it's going to be interesting, too, to get Mike's insight from, as a GM, what happened with the whole coaching situation? Who actually did make the decision to put Sean Desai, move, remove Sean Desai uh, and, and put Matt Patricia in there midseason? So you're not buying the answer they gave no. at the uh, no. press conference? Are, are you? I wasn't buying a whole lot of stuff I heard that day. <laughs> I'm not
0: sure. I, I, I am open to either side. Now, like, the Sirianni stuff is very compelling to me. This conversation of what does he do? Is he a great leader? Well, we heard Jason Kelsey's comments. We then heard Shane Steichen's comments. And Shane Steichen, I thought, gave the best backing of Sirianni that you could give. The guy is so demanding and holds people more accountable than anyone else he's ever been around this is what Shane Steichen said about Nick Sirianni
2: I
1: love Nick uh very
2: demanding accountability is huge with him you know he wants things done a certain way which is that's their your job as head coach and there's a standard he set that standard and you've seen what he's done in three years his record speaks for itself you can't say enough I mean it's hard to do what he's done in the past three years on any team and uh it's a credit to him. It's a credit to his coaches. And what they've done there the last three years is pretty freaking special. So
0: it's a pretty strong – now, I get it. They're friends. But, right, right, you know, he's demanding. He holds people accountable. So to answer your question there, I am starting to lean to the side that Sirianni – because now we've had this reporting from Jeff Mosher and the Inside the Birds guys that um, – the defensive players weren't even speaking to decide towards the end of the, p- the season, and it sounds as if there was a rift between coach and players. And Sirianni was trying to keep it together until the record suggested he couldn't. Right, like, the record was suggesting
1: I can't make a move we're undefeated. Like, well, and then you and then you go and 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 you weave in like, again. It's uh, we're going to weave in, and people will hear this shortly. What Fletcher Cox had to say. Not specifically about the defense, but about the end of the season. And then you—you, you, you know, I'll be curious to hear Zach Berman's take as well on all that. Um, you know, and how much of, the, of, of that final press conference he bought uh, with it. But you're right; there's the accountability. And are you
0: surprised at all, or do you kind of take a grain of salt with Shane Steichen said?
1: I'm not surprised. I would not expect him to come out and and trash Sirianni, right? As you pointed out, they're good friends. He got a great opportunity because of Sirianni. Um, I wouldn't expect him to come out and do anything other than give a ringing endorsement. But what he said does matter—the holding people accountable. And if he felt like Sean Desai was not holding the defense accountable, but you were ten and one at the time, or ten and two, I guess after the night, ten and three after the Cowboys mm-hmm, lost, right? Yeah. So you're ten and three. You're still sitting controlling your own destiny with the number one seed. You know, we have the benefit of hindsight now. It's just very, very troubling.
0: Let me tell you, Scott. We're on Radio Row. It's Chiefs and Niners, and I have been asked to be on stations across the country because they want to know what happened to the Eagles. <laughs> I've done two interviews today on other stations, and the questions are, what happened to the Eagles? Like, it is a story in itself, Super Bowl week. Here we right. are because I think one of the reasons why it's a story is one of the teams is back here. The other
1: one is not. Right, and I think a lot of people thought, especially even at 10-3, and 3, that that could be the case. All right, Sports Bash is live, 97.3 ESPN.
0: Uh, I don't know what time it is. What is it, uh, 2.14 back there? Yeah, so, your,
1: your
3: math is still a
1: little rough.
0: <laughs> it's 2.14 in the east, 11.14 in the uh, west. Well, I don't know. I landed at a weird time. You got up at 5.30. I did get up at 5.30. Um, I'm feeling like I got up at 5.30. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. We got stories with Schwein. I mean, we got the Schwein with us from the locker room, if you listen weekends, and it's... All- There's enough stories from last night already with Schwein to fill the day. That is accurate. Yeah. You weren't here. I had I know, I landed him. and
1: already heard stories. I had to
0: babysit him yeah. last night. But it was fun. He was fine. And by the way, Schwein... Is uh,
1: I don't know where he is.
0: He's wandered off. He's again. wandering around. He's trying to wrangle in some some fun uh, conversation for us throughout the course of the day. And if you listen to the show, you know you never know who's going to appear, show up next. But coming up on the other side, we are scheduled to talk to uh, Zach Berman. We want to get the Eagles conversation off and rolling. And Zach, to me, is one of the best beat guys in the city. He was with the Inquirer, then the Athletic. He is now at PHLY, and he's going to talk some birds with us. Coming up next here on the Sports Bash. It's the live from Mandalay Bay on Radio Row in Las Vegas, home of Super Bowl 58. Here's Mike Gill and Scott Grayson.
4: I was sad for, you know, for some time because I really just could never put my finger on, like, what went wrong. You know, and and it is frustrating when you can't put your finger on what went wrong. or, you know, things that maybe I could have done better, you know, as a leader, as a player, as a teammate. I still, to this day, really don't know what went wrong.
0: That was Fletcher Cox. You'll hear the full interview later today on the show. We asked him. He just
1: said that not that long ago.
0: Yeah. We asked him, how do you explain what happened to this team? We're at the Super Bowl, and I've been on two other shows. People from other cities want to know what happened to the Eagles. We have Zach Berman, PHLY, great new Eagles outlet. And he joins us now. You just heard what Fletcher Cox sure. said. He doesn't know the answer to the question. I don't expect you to. But is it somewhat revealing to hear how he is lost for words at what happened with this Eagles
5: team? As far as a hard explanation, yeah, I, I don't think it's it's one thing. What I can say is that there were there were signs before that when they were ten and one, right? They 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 were not winning games in the in the manner in which we want to see them win. And I think that even then, and I remember I spoke to Nick about it, and I spoke to different guys in the in the locker room about it, uh, that there was stuff that was getting that they were getting away with when they were ten and one, that was going to catch up to them. And I think that's what you saw in those last you know two three games. That doesn't explain you know San Francisco. I, I mean those teams were just better than them. But I think the way they played against Seattle, the way they played against Arizona. I think a lot of that was sloppiness that you saw early in the year that was never corrected, that was never rectified, and it caught up to them in a bad way late in the year. Does that
0: sound like a guy, though, who's at a loss at why they couldn't fix it? Like, okay, they saw the cracks. They saw this happening. And then it happened, and they had no answer.
5: Well, I think they thought their answer was was, was firing Desai, right? I mean, that's that's the card Nick tried to play. And 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 look, I've, I've covered the team for 12 years uh, they don't do those mid-season changes quite often. They did it with Juan Castillo in 2012. Different type of situation, but comparable in that they were just trying to look for something that would change it up. It didn't work in 2012. It didn't change this year. So I, I, I think that that was the big change then, was, uh, was firing Desai, trying to send a message there, and it simply did not work. So I, I think that a, a, a across the board... There was just a lot that was just slipping through the cracks. And it, you look at the coaching staff, but I, I think you, you have to include Jalen with that as well. Jalen didn't play as well as he needed to play later on in the year.
1: So let's, let's go there because you brought it up. Jalen Hurts. Uh, the offseason, we all know he got paid last year. Yeah. He, he was coming off of an amazing Super Bowl performance, an amazing season was he in hindsight was he a little too distracted in the offseason did he get in the work he needed to and do you think that this was we we know how competitive he is Sure, this isn't going to sit
5: well with him right how
1: how do you expect him to come out of this uh next year
5: yeah well, well to the first question i i don't think it was a matter of of him being distracted or kind of pulled elsewhere um you know jalen like you said he a competitive extraordinarily motivated was was doing what he needed to do this offseason i i think it was a confluence of things number one I think going into the year, they did not want him to run as much. And I think that can, af- that can affect the way you operate uh, you know, when the ball's in your hand. And I think part of what makes Jalen special uh, is his ability to run, is, is his ability to, to make things off schedule. And so they shouldn't try to harness that. They should let Jalen be Jalen. Number two, I think he was dealing with something throughout the year, in particular after that Rams game uh, when he banged up the knee and thereafter. I, I, I don't think he was ever quite right. Uh, but, look, there was a lot of change last year when you when you look at you know, losing Shane Steichen. I think uh, to the point about what happened last offseason, teams spent, the opposing teams obviously, spent the entire offseason studying the Eagles. What are they doing? What works? And I don't think the Eagles had enough answers for their adjustments. They didn't have a, a, a good counterpunch. I think they tried to double down on what they thought they did well, but they, they didn't have the counterpoint to adjust to what the other teams were doing.
6: As
1: you've dug into the Kellen Moore style of yeah. offense, how do you think the Kellen Moore-Jalen Hurts marriage will
5: work? Good question. I, I think it'll... Look, it's it's hard to say right now without seeing... My, I think Kellen Moore's a really good offense coordinator, and I think Jalen Hurts is a really good quarterback. And you put those two things together, and you should have a really good offense. <laughs> now, I, I, I'm curious to see... Personnel-wise, what the Eagles do at number three wide receiver, what the Eagles do at number two tight end—I think those are all factors here. But I think Kellen Moore is going to be emboldened to get these wide receivers open, right? To show a little more creativity there. To add, you—you you hear pre-snap motion, but I do think that's—that's—that's going to be something they try to do. I don't know how much under center they're going to go into. Uh, you know, philosophically, I—I I know Nick likes being in the gun for the purpose of the plus one in the running game. But if if you think it helps you with the play action, and that's that's something that Kellen Moore can incorporate, then it's something they 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 need, they need to at least welcome. So yeah, I I think Kellen Moore's resume as an offensive coordinator, in terms of yards, in terms of points, um, in turn you know, in those areas where the Eagles weren't particularly good, like I said, pre snap motion, I think he can help there. And I think Jalen is is awfully talented and motivated and competitive. That if he's receptive to it. I think it's going to work.
0: Zach Berman, PHLY Eagles, uh, you know, they have live videos every day, and you can check that out on their YouTube platform. One of the things you talked about on your show today, which is Nick Sirianni, is he being set up for success with this choice. Did they pick more to usurp his offense or because it was a perfect complement to what Nick likes to do?
5: Oh, no, I – well, I, I wouldn't necessarily say usurp there. I, I hear what you're saying. I think that that, that they felt they needed, it. and when I say they, Jeffrey Lurie, Howie Roseman, and Nick Sirianni, that that they they needed different voices in both coordinator spots, right? Last year they they went with two relatively inexperienced coordinators. Sean DeSai, I know, had a year as the defense coordinator in Chicago, but just he didn't have the same track record, of course, that like Vic Fangio has, right? And then Brian Johnson. No, I think Brian was handcuffed a bit in the sense that he was running Nick's offense. Mm-hmm. But I, I think offensively, they thought they got stale, like Nick said. And defensively, they thought they needed more experience, more cachet there. Uh, so in terms of him being set up for success, what I think is, is important to recognize is that when Nick hired Shane Steichen and Jonathan Gannon, those are two guys that he, he, he had worked with. Those are two guys he had long existing relationships with, right? It's a little different here with Vic Fangio and Kellen Moore. And, you know, we were speaking to, to Brian Billick on our show yesterday about, like, you know, the CEO coach, to use that term, and how that works. And and I think ultimately if you hire good people and you're a good leader, and I think Nick's a good leader, you can make it work. But there are different dynamics, and there's not that history that he had with Shane and with Jonathan.
0: All right. So a question was brought up in the press conference to Nick. Well, what do you do? Okay. And you just mentioned the CEO coach. Yeah. I keep asking this question and wondering in my head. He didn't call the plays when they went to the Super Bowl, and they got to the Super Bowl. So, what does what is his role like that we that the public might not know about or see that had an impact so strongly as to why they were a Super Bowl team?
5: Oh, well, 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 Nick is like he's he's phenomenal in terms of communication, in terms of organization, uh, attention to detail. I mean, I, I could, I could spend hours with you guys talking about the different stories I've heard from people in that building about Nick's meetings and about, you know, the, the way Nick structures it and, uh, the connection that he has with the locker room. So yeah, Nick's job is to be the head coach of the football team, right? Um, you know, there's, there's so much that happens whether it's Monday to Saturday in terms of being the, the leader. And then certainly game day in terms of situational football, which, by the way, I don't think Nick was was, was good enough at last year relative to what he needed to be, uh, game management, things of that nature, that that he, you know, it's certainly a big enough job without calling the plays or without putting your offense in. And mm-hmm. I, I know that. Look at John Harbaugh in Baltimore. Look at Mike Tomlin in Pittsburgh. Um, look at Dan Campbell in Detroit. There are certainly enough examples. You don't have to be Kyle Shanahan, right, right. Where, you're, where you're calling the plays. Um, but I think where the big change is, is that even when Nick wasn't calling the plays in the Super Bowl run, it was Nick's offense. Like Shane was calling, each, uh, Shane was picking the food from Nick's menu, to use that analogy. Mm. And I think now it's Kellen Moore's offense. It's Kellen Moore's menu. It's not Nick's menu.
1: It's going to be interesting to watch. And, you, and when you, you know, you talked about being in the locker room and and you were talking to the guys. Where we started was Fletcher Cox not still at this point not figuring out yeah. what went wrong. Do these guys need to figure out what went wrong, or do they at this point? need to turn the page and 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 move forward as they already have with new coordinators nick is the ceo coach as you just talked about and and a lot of issues they need to fix now personnel wise which is Howie's problem but these players what do they need to do right now how much do they need to just turn the page and maybe forget
5: it even if they can't figure out what went wrong well i think you should always troubleshoot right you should you should always try to identify what the problem is and i think part of this is being honest with themselves in that building there's a sentiment that what happened later in the year was an aberration, right? And if you're operating under that assumption or operating under that premise, then you just move on. You say this is something unfortunate that happened and this isn't indicative of who we are as a team. Conversely, if you view those last seven games as, as an indication as opposed to an aberration, then that's that's a bigger problem. And you need to say what conditions were in place that led to this, why were they playing like this. Uh, there are certain things that you just move on from that you say this was a bad you know it was a bad year and it was a bad, you know there was it, was it was a bad month and a half let's say right <laughs> but there are other things where you say what were the conditions in place that led to this why were they sloppy early in the year what were they doing practice wise what were they doing uh, game plan wise right what were they doing in-game adjustments there was sh- and and for the players whether it's it's intangible stuff such as leadership such as preparation they need to figure out why they played that way during the last seven games. Because if they play like that next season, I mean, Nick's not going to be back. There's going to be a lot of changes. We're
1: in Vegas. Uh, sure. So let's have a little fun with that. Uh, three guys. we give you names. Uh, one of them we talked to earlier today. We already mentioned Fletcher Cox, Brandon Graham, Jason Kelsey. Yeah. And we're hearing Travis drop more and more nuggets yeah. that make it seem like Jason might be back. Of those three guys, which of them, any of them, none of them are back next season?
5: Yeah, I think Brandon's going to be back. Uh, you know, Brandon's, uh, he said that he wants next year to be like a farewell tour. And mm-hmm. you think the Eagles will entertain that? That's a good question. That's, that's the part of it that still needs to be uh, accounted for. I think yeah. it, it could be the type of thing where he's not there during camp and they kind of bring him in midway through. But I think Brandon wants to be there all, all the way through. And I think if, if, if you can find value in him being the fourth, fifth guy and yeah. what he brings to the locker, sure. room, the energy, the affection, assist, then you do it. Well, the hard
0: part is, like, at the end of this year, you start to look at his team and you, you, you surmise, man, they look old. Sure. And then, yet, those older guys were some of their more productive <laughs> guys was also yeah. Fletcher, Brandon, yeah. and, that, and especially late in the, in the playoff game.
5: Yeah. Um, now, now Brandon, if he's back, it's it's very limited role. Yeah. And, I, and I think he knows that and he accepts it. I don't think Fletcher's coming back next year. Uh, you know, I think Fletcher Fletcher's, from, from where I stand, is one of the great players in Eagles history, right? I mean, I, I came in with him. Yeah, I, I I say that. I, I started on the beat with him. Okay, <laughs> I didn't come in. I started on the beat with him in 2012. Um, so I, I I've been there throughout his whole career. I mean, I I've gotten to know him decently. I've, I've spent time with, him, with his family in his hometown. And really, one of the like most. He's he's an exceptional player. And if you talk to Jason Kelsey, Jason Kelsey will tell you he's played with two guys in his career who are Hall of Fame caliber players, independent of scheme, right? And he's, so sort of say Fletcher Cox and Jason Peters are the only two guys like that. Like it doesn't matter what scheme they're in. It doesn't matter who's coaching. These guys are Hall of Fame players. Uh, but I think Fletcher will kind of look at this, with these 12 years he had and I don't say right off on the sunset because they, they lost there, but it certainly sounds like Fletcher won't be back. I, now I could be wrong. Mm-hmm. A lot can change. Um, Jason's an interesting one because in those days after the season, you, you kept it wore hearing. on him. Yeah. But you kept hearing he, he's not coming back. But also, Jason, look, I, I mean, I've done this. I was in that post-game locker room in, in New Orleans in 2000 and the 18th season, right? Yep. And standing by his locker after that game, and we're saying, are, you know, are you coming back, right? This has been every year this right. questions come up. And Jason's been consistent, right? It's us asking him, but Jason's been consistent. He needs time. He can't make that decision the week after the season. It wouldn't surprise me if Jason comes back, honestly. And I, yeah. and I, I, I know... Everything you hear is that after that game, that was it, right? But Jason is very—he's um, very conscientious about like taking his time, making. Now he's—he's he, he's not going to take two months, but I would imagine he makes that decision in the next two three weeks, and I wouldn't be surprised if he's back. But I don't have a good way to say yes or no at this point. Mm-hmm.
0: So. Uh, those three guys obviously are different than, than the rest sure. of what they have. But does this – they lost to Tampa two years ago. They got bombed. They weren't on the same level. And I thought it was like an eye-opening of like we made the playoffs, but we're not a Super Bowl team. Sure. And they were very aggressive yeah. and became a Super Bowl team. Does this offseason, before we get there, have the feeling of they saw that they were not a Super Bowl team, they were a playoff team, but we have to be very aggressive to get – to that next level. Does this offseason feel, they went out and got Reddit, they went out and got Bradbury and Chauncey Gardner-Johnson and A.J. Brown. Does this offseason feel like one where Howie feels like the redemption story has to happen?
5: I don't think this is like the the, the 2021 offseason. Um, you know, if, 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 if I had to compare this to, uh, to, to other offseasons, uh, I don't want to say 2020 because it didn't work out that year, but in terms of their approach where they felt like they need to shuffle some deck chairs here, right? And I think they're going to be aggressive in terms of, look, they're going to make changes in the back seven. I can tell you that, right? I mean, you're, you know, linebacker, safety. Um, I think they're they're going to draft an offensive lineman early. They're going to add a third wide receiver here. I think they're going to add a second tight end. But I mean, AJ Brown, Hassan Reddick, those are two headlining moves. Like, and and they had more cap space to work with, and yeah. they had two first round picks. They had two seconds this year but I don't think it'll be to the level of 2021. I think the offensive core is intact, but I think defensively they're going to make some changes. So
0: if Roseman had to make one splash, he had one big move he could make, is there a spot on this field? I know we all say, well, they need a linebacker, they need a safety, (laughs) but is there a spot that knowing him, the way he operates, and if he was able to do one big thing, do you have a thought of what that might be?
5: I think if, if, if Howie could make one big move right now, my guess is it would be, you know, like a, a premier young corner. Now, that's, that's, as easier said than done, right? And, yeah. and maybe that comes in the draft, but I think that's a position where, look, they spent a lot of money on Bradbury last year. That didn't work out the way they hoped this past year. They really like Keely Ringo, who, who they view, they view as their third round pick this year, right? They traded the 2024 third to go get him. Eli Ricks has showed potential, but, I do think, you know, there's th- there's this, like, there's certain positions where Howie won't draft early. Corner's not one of them. Howie was very interested in Patrick Sertan, mm-hmm. uh in the 2021 draft when they took Devontae. Um, they really, you know, and J.C. Horn that year as well, okay? They were very interested uh, the year they took Jordan Davis, of so 2022, and if, if Stingley or Sauce Gardner fell to, like, that, You know, let's say six to eight range, trying to move up for those guys. Uh, So I, I think that's a spot. I think safety and linebacker they can spend money on. I I think it's a decent year for them to draft a linebacker in the second or third round. Um, You know, there's some good guys there. But uh, and then I, you know, I I do think they're going to prioritize in the draft in a really deep offensive tackle draft, finding Lane Johnson's potential replacement. Yeah, that sounds like a good blueprint right there.
0: Alright, uh, Zach Berman, everybody, uh, give us a little insight. Uh, one team from last year is back at the Super Bowl. The other team we're talking about, it's the Eagles, of course. Zach Berman, P-H-L-Y, uh, follow all of their stuff at Z Berm on Twitter, X. Whatever we call it. Whatever we're calling it these days. Uh, excellent stuff. Good to see you out here, man.
5: Hey, great to see you guys. Thanks yeah, for having me on. Thank
0: you, Zach. Awesome stuff. A uh, lot to uh, unpack from that. And uh, we'll continue the conversation here next hour, of course, on the Sports Best. You'll hear that full conversation from Fletcher Cox. And uh, we'll be able to play that in its entirety here on the sports Bash, thanks to zach burman make sure you check him out on phly their youtube channel they're doing a lot of great things over there and he was kind enough to stop by boy i have a lot of notes that i kind yeah, it down yeah, yeah he had
1: a lot of good stuff there for sure and again uh, we'll, this is what we're trying to bring everyone
0: we'll recap it coming up next here on radio row mandalay bay vegas style on the sports bash 97.3 espn it's the Sports Bash, live from Mandalay Bay on Radio Row in Las Vegas, home of Super Bowl 58. Here's Mike Gill and Scott Grayson.
7: Super
0: Bowl, Radio Row, Mandalay Bay. Now, last night, you and I went over to the uh, MGM Sportsbook. No, not you and I. Schleim and I, yeah. sorry. Went over to the MGM Sportsbook. Now, we do our show every Monday at Ocean. In Atlantic City, and I have to say, the Ocean Gallery Bar Booking Games superior. Okay, the sports book. Yeah. Now we're at the Luxor, right? And the sports book there. I mean, it's a little one of the older ones, so we haven't seen like the whole strip. But that Ocean sports book, I said last night, it was nice. I'm not like trashing the place. I said I'm at Ocean every Monday, and I said I, I like Ocean yeah, uh, I compared to what I saw that. Now I've only that's the only one i
1: yeah. I did work. walk by that other one today
0: here at Mandalay, and that one was a lot bigger and different, so but hey, it's a scene out here. I will say this, like the the, the square footage of the rooms <laughs> out here, I mean like not the rooms, the, the the ballrooms. Yeah. Like where we are? Right. Massive. Massive. I mean, unbelievable to walk like all right, we're like, we're staying at the Luxor, Radio Rose at Mandalay Bay. We're like, oh, they're connected. We can walk there. Okay. Yeah, we didn't
1: have to go outside at all.
0: You would think that's like, okay, you walk there. That's five minutes. No. It's probably a half
1: an hour. <laughs> well, Especially the way they routed it. Yeah, I mean, it was, what the NFL did with getting credentials and getting into the media center was... Uh, it was not set up well. No. No. Roger Goodell could do better.
0: <laughs> uh, I got some notes on what Berman said. So I want to hear if... Um, people out there 609-403-0973 have some thoughts you so, know um i loved his comment on shane Steichen was picking off of nick's menu i thought it was a great analogy kellen moore is now picking off of kellen moore's menu um for the offense essentially zach berman is saying nick's offense is is gone
1: yeah i know you got to believe Nick is going to like Tush Push some things he's going to want to incorporate, and I think Kellen will be is open to that. Push
0: still here if Kelsey's not.
1: That's a great question, you know, because we all tried to unpack what were the reasons of the success for that. Was it the fact that with Jalen Hurts squatting six hundred pounds, he's strong, or was it the way that that, that Jason would kamikaze himself in there uh, and and create enough room for Jalen to get the first down? It, it, who knows? Um, but it's it, what, going back to the comment you brought up, I think the fascinating thing in all of that is that there's clearly been change here. And what he said is that the team spent all offseason learning how to try to stop the Eagles offense because everybody knew they were going to be the team to beat in the NFC. Well, now they don't really know what this offense is going to look like this offseason because it will be that different. Which is why you had to almost, like, hearing you say
0: that, Thinking about what Berman said about, hey, people had all offseason to kind of figure and study our offense for the third straight year. They almost had to make a change in the offense in some capacity. And, therefore, Brian Johnson kind of became the sacrificial lamb solely for the fact that the offense had to have a different look.
1: Yeah, and, and now this is my take. I, I just feel like he and Jalen were too close, too. I think Jalen needs a little bit of that Um somebody who doesn't have that relationship in a way because how many times could you see on film right that he was missing open guys and i wasn't seeing any learning from that and so there's a disconnect between the coach and the player to learn from mistakes made and that's their job is to teach to learn how to make not make the same mistake twice and now i'm looking forward to seeing how Jalen will do with that relationship uh and how that will develop with uh you know, with Kellen Moore.
0: Some other highlights from the conversation. I asked him if Howie made one big splash. What would your answer be?
1: I, I, I like the look of, of finding a young corner that they might trade for, um, because they do have assets in the in the draft uh, that they could potentially use to get somebody like that. They do need a young corner, and he's right. They do like Keely Ringo. Do you have any? Hope that Bradbury
0: can bounce back, that he just didn't like the scheme. Him and Desai didn't get along.
1: And No, I just saw too many times. Look, I appreciated Bradbury was always a stand-up guy in the locker room who would talk to us about everything. He was very honest about things. But I think the game, what I saw this year, they need to move on.
0: Okay, I'm, I'm, I like your answer, too, the fact that you respect the guy, but I have to say I think he's still going step back.
1: And I, I do. I think that's fair. I do. And I think they need to get younger at that position one way or another. They
0: definitely need to get I mean, any way you slice it, Slay and Bradbury
1: yeah, you have are to getting break older. That. You have to break that up. And I would break it up by keeping Slay and losing Bradbury.
0: The gymnastics of what you do to get rid of Bradbury is going to be a problem.
1: Well, it's true. And it, it goes to, yeah, how they do that is going to be fascinating to watch. Because um, you're in a way, now oh, there's Dan Marino. Uh, oh! It... <laughs> That's so funny. Where's Dan Marino? He's a uh, table diagonally about
0: because Billy Schwime said to me, "Hey, Mike, Dan Marino going to be there." I said, yeah.
1: oh, "How am I supposed <laughs> to know?"
0: And sure enough, there's Dan Marino. Yeah. Oh man, that's funny.
1: So, so you to get so you look at what they have to do with Bradbury. It's it's very complicated in order. So you're almost got to keep him and and start using him in a way that uh, if and he won't be up for this. He wants to play, but he might be more of a reserve role just to to not have the dead cap hit. Um, uh, what's it called?
0: My other thing he said. Um, he said there's definitely going to be changes on the back seven, and they're going to draft an
1: offensive lineman early. They love their offensive lineman They love the well. They love in one philosophy this this franchise has had that you can't argue with, and it has worked is to build from the trenches out. And they're always trying to find good young talent. Uh, in the trenches, and and so it doesn't surprise me that they might be looking at this year in a deep tackle draft, as he said, to find Lane Johnson's replacement. Because how many years do you think Lane has left? Two? Maybe? How old is Lane Johnson now? That's a good question. I don't know off the top of my head. Uh,
0: I got it here. He is 33. So, yeah, I mean, Lyman can typically go a little longer, but I would think Lane's got two... Pro Bowl-level years that he can still play, yes. But as he said, I think the guy that they're trying to find is the replacement. They've been doing this game for a while, though. They've been trying to draft the replacement for Kelsey. Landon Dickerson, they moved him to guard. He became so good at guard that they <laughs> right. had to draft another replacement for Kelsey, and now that guy played guard. Now he'll probably... Now if Kelsey comes back, Jergens, do you did you like him enough at right guard that he's entrenched there? Or are you drafting a guy that you are getting to replace Lane Johnson, but can also play right guard in the meantime.
1: Ideally, that's who I would look for. I would look for a guy who's versatile enough to do that, as the guys you mentioned had done in the past. Um, because you don't want to push Lane out the door if he's still got something left in the tank. And, and we all can agree, he still does, for sure. Still an elite uh, tackle. Um, but you want to have that guy in-house, learning from from the great Jeff Stoutland. Um, and being able to potentially give you something at guard while you're waiting for that tackle spot to open up. yeah um,
0: I see a lot of mock drafts our guy Andrew Dechecco who is always on the draft he's got he likes the Eagles taking the lineman at 22 as well. I know we're early. It's very early in the draft process but if I was to tell you at 22 in the draft they drafted an offensive lineman, are you disappointed? Huh. I mean, I I've, now I see Dan Marino. Yes, by the way, yes, I'll tell you what—he still looks like he can sling it. Um, I was like, I don't see Dan Marino. Yeah, Look no, at Yeah, well, his yeah. head is like he—he's right there at eleven o'clock, sitting down, headset on, sport coat. I mean, he's right there, sitting down with the glasses. You're, no, <laughs> oh my god, walks walks straight through that right there, that quarter. <laughs> Keep going straight. You'll run right into them. It's like having a child. Straight. It's like uh, the scene in in, in, in uh, Goodfellas. Yeah, yeah, right around the corner there. Yeah, the, the jackets. They're right around the corner. <laughs> I will talk to you when I take a break. I'm in a, I'm in a live radio show right now. <laughs>
1: no. Um, all right. So so would I be disappointed if they took a tackle at 20? I feel this team has so many issues on defense. I want to see them address that. But you don't want to ignore the offense because I think that, that what they're looking at is if they're going to win next year, Mike, they're going to win because they're scoring a lot of points. I, and and it's like I have
0: faith that Stoutland can take what he's got and they can be a competent line with Milata, Dickerson, whoever's playing center, Johnson, uh, uh, Johnson at right uh, tackle and whatever's happening at right guard. Right. Like they got – um, Who they draft last year? Uh, Jordan, the no, the third round, uh, the uh, lineman. <laughs> Tyler uh, Steen, Steen, yes, 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 yes. Tyler Steen, yes. So, I think Steen can play right guard. You Driscoll's a free agent, but I've lost a little train of thought because Swine was uh um, he distracted you was distracting me. And I don't get distracted easy, but. The Marino thing—I mean, you see Dan Marino. I mean, he, he, <laughs> it is a pretty amazing thing to see Dan Marino He's sitting like ten yards from us. Yeah, um, still looks—I mean, still looks great. Now, Schwab's over there. Give you a little locker room preview for this weekend. He's talking to you. Remember Eric Swan? Oh yeah, from the Arizona
4: Cardinals.
0: He is a big man still. You know, he he's still is, he's yes. like in his 50s now. Oh, sure. Yeah, he was a great player, Eric Swan. All right, when we come back, another great player is joining us here. You'll have to listen to find out. It's the Sports Bash, live from Mandalay Bay on Radio Row in Las Vegas, home of Super Bowl 58. Here's Mike Gill and Scott Grayson. Hour 2, live on Radio Row, Vegas-style, baby. Mandalay Bay. It's my first time in Vegas. first time ever. Mike Gil, Scott Grayson. And that voice right there, Sean Merriman's back. We'll tell you about what Sean's up to. Now, he just slipped in before he got on the radio that his son's playing QB in the Garden State. Yeah. My son
2: plays uh, quarterback to uh Manolupin. Okay, a little course okay. from us. Yeah, 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 so shout shout out to uh the Manalapan guys over there, my son Justin Merriman. Uh hope, hopefully somebody tell me I gave him a shout out shout out in the air. He, 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 he would love that, man. But he uh They he, can hear us in Manalapan. Yeah, that's yeah. right he's uh he's with his uh quarterback coach today, getting some work in, so good. Nice no linebacker for him? No, I wish. I wish. But you know what, Quarterbacks got guaranteed money. So oh. I'll just say <laughs> right. Do you wish? Yeah. <laughs> Well you want to see you wanna see your son tackle somebody, but at the same time he's a, he's a pretty damn good quarterback. Well, you know, you it's go. funny
0: we like you talk about linebacker. This is really interesting, okay? So where's the linebacker position in the game now? Is it changing again? Like all right, so we're Eagles affiliate here. Howie Roseman does not care about linebackers and he laughed the other day. He said there's this perception that I don't care about linebackers, so I went and got Nacobe Dean who got hurt immediately. Um But it seems that the linebacker position is like becoming important again, or is it not? What do you What do you think?
2: I I think that we got these waves, right? Every five to seven years, where okay, the linebacker is not important, or the wide receiver is not important. Now the running back is not important. So I think every five to seven years the game changes a little bit. But what I what I'm seeing now is it's starting to come back around because the, the teams that are playing in, in the championship games, AFC, NFC, and now the Super Bowl, what's important, the linebacker position. you got Fred Warner just lining up this week. I mean, uh, you know, Queen and, and Smith, right, for the Ravens, they were the backbone of, of that team. So you're starting to see now that the linebacker position is becoming more valuable than it has been the last like, couple years. The way you played linebacker, is that
0: viable today?
2: Well, if you want to be were awesome. I, your, I appreciate but it. But your
0: style, seriously. Was, yeah. But there's a lot of guys. Like, you asked guys who grew up Jeremiah
2: Trotter. Mm-hmm. What position is he playing in today's NFL? Putting his hand in the dirt. Probably a pass stretch because, you know, those those like uh, Trotter, he's coming off the field on third down. Right? He's on the first, first two downs they will happen as a run stopper. He's going to play between the tackles. But now, you know, with these guys lining up in these nickel and dime sets on on, on second and third down, the, the run stopper is coming off the field. But, like, again, you you got the excellent linebackers like Roquan Smith and Queen over there and and Fred Warren and Greenlaw. The inside linebacker position is coming back around, in in my opinion. So where would you play, Sean Merriman? Where would you play, like, what kind of style or what
0: kind of – you know what I'm saying? Like, what, how would they? How would they use someone as talented as you were?
2: Uh, community service, because oh, I, be, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like I could. It, it'd be so hard for me to play in today's game because all all rules just go out. You know, you can't land on guys, can't push off of them, can't hit them in certain areas, and of course, I would adjust to the game as much as possible, man. But I, my mentality is, it'll be tough to play the way the game is now. Like,
0: you, you really think that you would have like the. the the style and position that you played would be tough to find a role in today's game?
2: No, you can. All, I mean, I can pass rush. Yeah. I can drop running backs out the backfield. I can play cover two in, in, in open areas. I was always good in open areas, but yeah. I'm not going to run with a tight end down the field. I'm not running with, you know, a, a Travis Kelsey. That's not happening. Right,
0: Because it seems like they're getting guys who – this is why I was talking about, like, the, the position. Like, there are kids playing linebacker in high school, and then – They're kind of like safeties, and then they're making safeties become linebackers. And then those kids get to the NFL, and they're like, well, I'm not really a linebacker. But now the kid is playing that position from high school, and now now he's getting to the league and he has an understanding. Instead of saying, hey, you're a safety. We're moving the linebacker. It seemed there was like a five- to ten-year period where the linebackers were lost. They didn't know what the hell to do, but the teams wanted smaller, faster
2: linebackers. Yeah, and that's, and that's what happened because, for one, they want a guy that's going to be on the field all three downs, right? And so the days we talk about Trotter, he, nobody played between the tackles better than him. He was a thumper. But now you got these linebackers that are tweeners, right? There's 225, 230 to 240. That can, you can bring up in the A gap or rush them off the edge and do so many different things and you don't have to change and disguise your defense because we're bringing our run stopper off the field. And so I, I think now just that, that's just, it's a pass happy league, right? They're throwing the ball 70, 70 plus percent yep. time. And so you, you're going to keep that smaller, tweener linebacker on the field a lot, lo- a
1: lot longer. Do you like this, the game today? Uh, it's because like you mentioned the rules, right? Like you, you know, man, it seems like if you hit a quarterback, you always worry is that flight coming out now quarterback's your son. Uh, <laughs> but You don't want to see the son get hit. Yeah, right. Oh, I <laughs> do. I, I
2: love to see him get What lit do you think of the, the game off. today? <laughs> um, look, I, I think you know, people can talk about the game is softer and all that stuff. I think a lot of old school guys have that mentality of calling guys soft, but how they most of the guys our are, players are, are transitioning with the rules. Right. So like you can't call a guy soft if you can't hit anybody. <laughs> Right, and I think that uh, more importantly, you just get stuck into this regimen of playing hard or, or of thinking too much before you go make a hit, or where am I hitting the guy at? Instead of just getting him on the ground. So, yeah, you know, I make this, I make a joke all the time. I say, look, if I played today's game, I would be playing for free. i right? just I would go up and just sign my checks right back over the NFL because it, it, there's so many things you, you're not allowed to do anymore. Uh, by the way, you're only 39. You have one more run left. Look, I tell I t- Kyle Shanahan, if he if, if they got if they need anybody. I <laughs> 12 to 15 good
6: snaps to me.
2: Now I can stay on the field hey, for 20-plus. By
0: the way, so you say that, you know, we just had one of the Eagle Beat guys on, and Brandon Graham, he said he wants to come back and play again, and he understands he's only going to play, like, maybe 10 snaps. Like, that's a role in this league now, though. Yeah, because that's you,
2: way different from when you played, though. It is, but you know what? In this day and age, if you're playing 10 to 15 snaps and you can provide 2 to 3 pressures and get a sack, That doesn't even matter because that sack, that turnover, that pressure may be a deciding factor in the game. So it's still equally as important. But more importantly, you want a guy like Brandon Graham in the locker room. That's what he's there for.
1: I got to ask you, if you were playing today and the Eagles lined up on fourth and one, What are you doing on the tush-push to try to stop that? (laughs) I'm going over the top, (laughs) you know? And I I think
2: that, look, Fred, you know, speaking of Fred Warner playing the Super Bowl, he was one of the ones that that kind of stopped it. He went right over the top. And I was looking like, why don't guys go? Because this is what happens. This is how you get guys out of those formations. You land on the quarterback. You Mm -hmm. you land on uh, Hertz a few times. They'll get out of it. Even if you don't stop it. They don't want their quarterback, you know, having any access injuries or any possibility of injury. Fred Warner went right over the top. And I was like, thank you. I said, thank God somebody actually thought and had a wherewithal to go over the line of scrimmage and just blow it up.
1: That's great perspective.
2: Yes. Merriman, three-time Pro Bowler. Bills, Chargers, Lights Out. We're
0: going to hear what Lights Out is up to in just a minute. I want to get, though, I don't know how closely you follow the Eagles or solid, but they were 10-1 and at one point and then were awful. <laughs> Have you ever seen that happen to a team that appeared to be a – they were here last year. Mm-hmm. You and I spoke. You were in The Bachelor. You remember. Yeah. We talked about it. They yep. were the Eagles in the Super Bowl, and now they were terrible. What, as a professional in that locker room, how do you explain the demise of a team so drastic from 10-1 and 1 to what we
2: saw, which was unprofessional football almost? Yeah, you, you can't. They got ex- their crew coordinators fired. You, honestly, you can't explain it because we have never seen a collapse like that in history. And at first, you know, I was I was more disappointed because they were eight and zero or nine and zero, whatever it was before they lost. Yeah, they a, lost that jet game before they lost. But people were talking about them like they were trash. Yeah, I'm not like somebody with an undefeated record. They were like, oh, they're not that good. I'm like, hold on, please let me not be that good and be nine and zero, right? So you thought they were good. I thought they were good, and then you start to see them playing better teams. And the quality drop, and they start going into this slump that they couldn't get out of. And you start seeing Jalen, you start seeing Hurts, and all you got like post post game interviews, and they're they're disappointed. The energy's low, just the attitude switch, and it's like they never came out of that slump. And I, I do believe, man, I think because of the coordinators left, which is a big part of what they're doing. And, and uh, you know, Denaro Wilson was, was one of the guys who were yep. there at that time who was my college teammate at the University of Maryland. He just got a D.C. job. He got a D.C. job with the Titans. Is and, he bringing you on the staff? No, no, no. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> Denaro spent most of the time getting me lined up because I didn't know what the hell I was doing. I was like, look, you tell me where the ball is, and I'll go hit whoever got the ball in their hands. Um, But, you know, we've never seen a collapse like that in the history of the game. Um, All right, so – Coming up Friday,
0: February 16th. Now, for people that know Sean Merriman... Lights Out, the nickname. You've got uh, Lights Out Extreme Fighting. You were talking about this last year. Doing it again now. One of my buddies actually lives right around the corner from, and he's listening right now. So uh, tell the people listening uh, what's happening and what you're doing with Lights Out 14.
2: Yeah, we got Lights Out Extreme Fighting 14 is my MMA organization. Uh, we'll be live on FUBO TV February 16th, 7pm uh, Pacific, live on FUBO Sports, FUBO TV. If you don't have FUBO, get it. We also air uh, Bally's and Amazon Freebie a week later. Uh, but we got the next up-and-coming stars of the sport. And, you know, my whole thing of getting in here is, uh, you know, I had a, I built a big platform for myself, obviously having an opportunity to play in the NFL, but also I've been around combat sports for 17 years. I was one of the first guys to actually make that transition from football and, and, and being around this uh, fight business. And so we got a huge fight with these up-and-coming guys uh, next Friday, February 16th, live in Long Beach, California. We'll be um, live on Football TV, Football Sports. You know, I used to call MMA. That's right, you told me. Yeah, Yeah, I did it
0: play-by-play. Me and CM Punk, he was my color analyst, so I haven't done it in a little while. I I can't say that uh, I'm at the top of my game there, but I, I watch a lot of this level of fighters, and... You know, in fact, uh, Sean Brady, who was in CFFC, he was supposed to headline the UFC card in Atlantic City. That's right. And he just uh, got injured, so he's not going to be in Atlantic City. For Atlantic City people back there, no, no break, because he's a local guy. Yep. Uh, but uh, I love watching this stuff. And, and, you know, you see these guys, how unbelievably talented they are. They just need to be discovered.
2: That's it, man. And giving them a platform, right? I mean, uh, we all know who the big dogs is in the business, which is USC, which is great. But they, they only have 500 and something fighters under contract. There's thousands of fighters in the country that need a place to fight. And so we have these jumps on viewership, and viewership on football a 70% and 90%, just unprecedented jumps because I think the, the the fans and the people are just really enjoying what they're doing. And they also love things at the grassroots, and that's what made the UFC who they are. They built their superstars. They, they, they got behind them, they branded them, they, and they made them kind of – who they are in the fight business and that we're doing the same thing we, we want these up and coming guys give an the opportunity we got two or three fighters on this card that i believe will have maybe one or two more fights left with us and then they'll be headed to the
0: ufc wow,
1: that's great
2: uh, bills chargers they're your two teams do you like the hardball hire love it yeah i love it and to, and to be honest i think it was the only hire that they could have done and not that, you know, Vrabel was a great coach. It's not how he don't have a job right now, I don't understand. Right? Yeah. Did you what? hear the one thing? The big, How his size size. Yes. You asked me why I'm not coaching. It's because of that. <laughs> I'm too big to be in, in the front office. <laughs> well, you, you can be the position coach. <laughs> <laughs> you just don't want you to be the head coach. <laughs> Come on. But, but That's the
8: most ridiculous thing it, I've ever heard. It's the
2: stupidest thing that I've ever heard. But, I, look, I, this, the reason why I love this hire, kills two things, right? Uh, it, showed, it showed that the Chargers are serious about – making a run finally you know finally well yeah i think that they are but coming off of this hire with brandon staley the fan has got kind of in the hole they wasn't happy and then towards the end of his tenure they need I, to move back to san diego yeah well you know san diego's yeah. the best place to live in the country i I'll tell you that and i think for jim harbaugh he was already looking at making his jump back to the nfl he's already been publicly speaking about justin herbert and how great he think he is yep if you're going to make the jump back in the nfl what better Job because you have taken. There was no other coaching vacancy open that you're going to walk in with this level. With that of That quarterback,
0: yes. Yeah. Um, Buffalo's your other team that you played for. Yeah, they're right there. They're right there. Are right there. Do they need to change or do they stay the course oh. or they need
1: a wide right again? I, I think oh, this.
2: Gee. I think that they need to get younger on the defense side of the ball. Vaughn Middle my guy. I love Vaughn. He's like a little brother to me. And I think that, you know, when you get older, you just, you get injured. You just, you're down, your play goes down. It's just, it's part of the game. It happened to me, happened to everybody to play long enough. I think they need to get younger and they also need to, the back and forth between Diggs. I, I, Diggs going somewhere, I don't understand that. He, he, you know, that is, that is Josh Allen's like guy. And whenever you start to disrupt that, then you're talking about a whole entire rebuilding situation. And I don't think that they're in that standpoint. I think they got a real opportunity over these next two or three years to get back to where they were, if not further, and make another run of this thing. we,
1: we got to, before we let you go, uh, what do you see in this game? Uh, Chiefs, been here so many times, Niners, you, your guy Fred Warner, uh, yeah. I know you're, you're pulling for. How do you see this game
2: playing out? No doubt about it, the 49ers are the better team, talent-wise. But so, in my opinion, so were the Buffalo Bills and so were the Ravens. Yeah. Which Chiefs beat them both. And so when you're when talking about, you just mentioned them being here so many times, these guys know how to win. So I can't go against the defending Super Bowl champions. I'm going with KC. Only because they've been here so many times and they know how to win. No stupid penalties, no turnovers, and they're going to to capitalize off any mistake that you make because that's what they're great at doing. Until somebody knocks them off, I'm going to keep going with them. Smart man.
0: Uh, Sean Merriman, everybody. Um, My girlfriend said, make sure you talk to the guy from The Bachelor. (laughs) (laughs) Bachelorette. And I told her I would. And I did. I fulfilled my obligation for the week.
2: If you try to put it on your
0: girlfriend, I know you're watching Bachelor. I (laughs) I am. (laughs) Although the last season I watched was the one I think maybe one or two. I haven't seen the last. I didn't watch the Golden Guy. Yeah. All right. But, uh, all right. A lot of fun. Uh, Sean Merriman, February 16th, Friday, on FUBU TV. Check that out. Lights out 14 for all you combat sports fans. Uh, he's a three-time pro bowler. Sean Merriman, everybody. Thanks, buddy. You got it, bud. Thanks, for uh, me. Sean Merriman here on Radio Row on the Sports Bash Live, 97.3 ESPN. And I want to thank my friend Mel over at Ernest & Sons Old Fashioned Butcher Shop in Brigantine for bringing you that conversation here on the Sports Bash. It's the Sports Bass. Live from Mandalay Bay on Radio Row in Las Vegas. Home of Super Bowl 58. Here's Mike Gill and Scott Grayson. Alright everybody, welcome back. Sports Bass Live 97.3 ESPN. We're on Radio Row. Mike and Scott and of course uh, the Sixers uh, got the bad news earlier in the week. and We happen to be on Radio Row and it's a football event. But Joel Embiid is the lifeblood of the 76ers. Uh, and pro football doc, you guys know Dr. David Chow. He's been on our show, our podcast before. And uh, I happen to say, hey, let's grab the doc to talk about Joel Embiid. This is a weird one, doc. And first off, thank you for you know, we just randomly happened to see him walk by. He's taking the time to talk to us. How are you?
8: I'm doing fine. I'm doing fine. Look. I'm trying to get in good graces with uh, Philadelphia fans because I feel like I'm always delivering the bad news, and then well, you're Philly... always delivering
0: bad news to a lot of people. Well, look, look
8: <laughs> I literally have told this to my GMs in the past. I do my Monday meeting; they'd be like, "Ah, oh, you know, this guy's hurt." You're always giving me bad news, and I had to remind them all the time. I'm Paul Revere. I'm not the British. (laughs) I'm not doing the invading. I'm not hurting the guys. I'm just telling you what it might be, you Uh, know?
0: Yeah, and, of course, uh, you've worked in NFL uh, with NFL teams, so you have that relationship of what goes on when these injuries happen. So let's try to read the tea leaves on what we're getting from the Sixers here who are being a little vague. Is the vagueness showing anything to you, or what's your kind of expository on what's happening with uh, the messaging with Joel Embiid?
8: Okay. Thanks for setting it up that way, and to make it clear that I have no insider information. I do have some insider knowledge perspective of how teams work, and I have worked in the NBA some. And on our Sports Industry Central panel, there's a former Chicago Bulls doctor that we rely on, and and what have you. And we do cover basketball. But here's the thing about Embiid. I think you're right. The interesting messaging. Look. First of all, the Sixers know what they're doing, right? The messaging is crafted the way they want to do it for a reason. We're on the outside looking in. I've always said on the outside, if something doesn't make sense from the outside, it's because you don't all know all the facts. From the inside, it always does. Nobody makes dumb decisions. This Joel Embiid thing, as we look at it from the outside, is interesting. I do not believe this lateral meniscus injury happened with that hyperextension injury. That's not typically something that gives you the displaced flat meniscus tear. So that would lead me to believe that it's been a brewing issue coming up, and maybe that explains the messaging and caginess as they were trying to deal with it. Now, a a while back, a few days ago, we were like, first of all, with all this and the new injury, like obviously he's not going to make the 65 games in the MVP threshold, but that's not everyone's concern. It's now his knee. But as soon as they said, a national reporter, I believe, said lateral meniscus issue. I thought that was an interesting choice of words. Well, it was right. originally tear, and then they pulled that down.
1: That was the Sixers that actually, because we, we were talking about that too, and 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 the Sixers were clear to say we never said it was a tear. Right, but there was but a it's, national it's a,
0: report that, right. reporter that said tear and then deleted the
8: tweet. And why is that such a big difference? Because a tear means you're going to have surgery. It's a matter of when, not if. And that's when I saw issue. I'm like, as you know, he's had a lot meniscus tear in that knee in 2019 in a scope. So to me, this was always some sort of tear. Acute tear, flap tear, degenerative tear, I don't know. But to use the word issue was interesting. And I was then saying, look, he's. it's a matter of, of, of when, not if for the scope.
0: But can I... Uh, ask you, I don't know, did you watch the game he played in which he got injured? Like, the mm-hmm. scope of the game or just the
8: injury? Probably just the injury. Okay, so there was
0: a lot of discussion of watching that game as, Yeah. why is he even out there? Like, he did not look right. And there was some discussion that he sat out the Denver game. Oh, well, he always sits out in Denver, and the doctors didn't like what they saw. Well, then there was some discussion that he kind of talked his way in. Like, can you talk about that relationship a little bit maybe? Like, The doctors have to see him play in that game and say, he don't look like himself out there.
8: Well, each team dynamic is different. Sure. And so I don't pretend to know the Sixers dynamic, okay? But return to play in any sport is always what I call a three-headed monster. And not to be political, for the law of the land to carry, you have Congress, the President, and the Supreme Court. Ultimately, if they're not in agreement, it doesn't go in the law. If Congress doesn't pass it, the president can veto it, and the Supreme Court can rule against it and overturn it. And to me, in sports, it's medical, the player, and the team. So medicals has a vote, and in order for someone to play, you need unanimous that it's yes. If medical says he's okay to play, but the player says, I don't feel I can, or if the player says, I can, and medical says, yes. It's sometimes up to the team to say, you don't look right. So the doctor's role is more, is it safe for him to play? What is the risk of further for, further injury? It's probably more the player and or team role saying, I can't play through this. Somebody or look watch right. watch in the middle of the game, though, and the doctor say, you don't look right. Get that, him off the floor. that. that basically never happens okay okay, okay. you got to stay in that's your a good lane. answer though
0: at least we can say like the okay. doctors are watching this happen and be like what are you doing uh, leaving him out there
8: unless there's something where you'd say he's going to get injured more than you have to step in right you got to remember basketball team physicians don't even travel to away games mm. until unless it's the playoffs so maybe is it the head athletic trainer right would have a little more say but look I'll speak towards my examples in football okay uh, and I've covered basketball before with the Bulls and Timberwolves but I was never a head team physician so that's why everyone knows me as more football but I've been there before in a football uh, game when uh, we say okay we got the the, the team and the coach said we gotta have them how about 15 snaps red zone only you know <laughs> we gotta have them
1: well, so to- uh, okay so go ahead to that point, you know, everybody's wondering, you gotta have him in the playoffs. And I, I know you're you know, you don't like you said you don't know everything, but what you do know, like could you put a percentage odds that you think he's able to play in any part of the playoffs, not just the first Okay, round? So
8: we'll we'll get to, to that. So to, just to the example of a doctor stepping in mid game, okay? I'm on the sideline of the game. We agree, okay, fifteen to red zone snaps, we'll see as a decoy. I look up where just started the second quarter and he's had like 20 snaps already (laughs) and i look at the head athletic trainer and he looks at me and we just both shrug like once you give him the helmet look once you give your teenager the keys to the car you (laughs) may set the curfew at 11 but when they come home is a different story i mean you know what i mean like in the middle of a game you're not tapping the head coach on the shoulder and saying hey remember what we said this was the minutes restriction get out of here you just don't have that power and ability and like i said the doctor isn't even there at away games yeah. and so no that doesn't happen
0: so he gets uh the, the the oddity too was the nuggets thing he was not on the injury report 30 minutes before the game uh, he's got knee swelling he, he's not playing uh that seems a little odd and then he does play and then he ends up getting hurt and now where do you think we
8: are okay look i want that talk- whole
0: 30 minute denver thing
8: odd to you it was odd okay. to me. Um, and, you know, obviously injury reporting rules They got fined $75,000. Which is what? <laughs> Couch cushion. <mode. laughs> sure. I mean, come on. Short. Sure. I mean, I mean uh, and uh, I'm sure since we're in Las Vegas, the betters here were like, what the <laughs> heck is going on with that, right? I mean, that that unusual. And I will say this. Look, more people are injured than are on the injury report, and that's normal. But the swelling didn't start 30 minutes before the game. Obviously, it takes time and there was something. But that's neither here nor there. As far as once the report came that there was a displaced flap, I thought it eyebrow raising that they were still trying to figure out what to do. With a displaced flap, 100%, you're having immediate surgery. And that's what we reported at Sports Injury Central from the analysis. Now, the question is, what is the recovery timeline? it is unlikely to be a repair with sutures. That would be a very long timeline, like closer to six months, okay? Why? Because this is a second tear on the meniscus. They're not typically suturable. So it's a further trim. Here's the problem. Number one, lateral meniscus tears take longer to recover than medial. Number two, basketball is a very difficult sport to return from a meniscus surgery because of running, jumping, offense, and defense, whereas football, like, okay, if you could run this route, maybe, you know, select certain routes, certain places, it's not a a continuous flow dynamic game. you got to play both sides. This is why even ACLs take longer in NBA. So lateral meniscus take longer. NBA injuries take longer. Here's a big guy with a previous lateral meniscus tear. And I'm not aware of what his contractual status is, but I think everyone would agree In the big picture, you need Joel Embiid going forward, and you can't risk anything this short season and be short-sighted.
1: So when you look at the meniscus, you you only have so much of it, right? So when you shave a little bit of the flap off or you go in there multiple times, it's not like it's going to necessarily come back. So long-term, how concerned should fans and Joel be that this is going to continue to deteriorate as he gets older? Let me try and put it into perspective
8: without it being a sound bite where I'm trying to, you know, blare something negative. There's, first of all, when you lose meniscus, you're not bone on bone. You still have articular cartilage. So the key is, what's the health of the articular cartilage? And I don't know that. Mm -hmm. I've had an NFL player who lost all of his lateral meniscus early in his career. And I was like, oof, this is going to be a downhill spiral And he actually had a very long career. His genetics were pretty good. He had good, healthy articular cartilage. So that's the key. So that's the good news. It's not you lost more meniscus and now you're bone-on-bone. It's all about the arthritic status of the knee. With that good news spin being given out there, natural history would say a lateral meniscus tear and a second lateral meniscus tear, you're headed downhill. The question is how quick and how steep is the slope, and no one knows that at this time. So I, without sounding out there, there's no question Joel Embiid with his knee is on a downhill slide. Is it a 2% grade or yeah. a 15% grade? I don't know, but there's no question, even with the 2019 lateral meniscus tear, he's on a downhill slide. Yeah. Now. Hopefully, you know, downhill slide is, you know, over the next 15, 20 years, right? And so it's not an issue, and so he gets a knee replacement later in life. It's fine, right? But in terms of his playing career, nobody knows. But it is downhill, and I think that's one of the components the team and the team doctors will have to look at instead of just the fan perspective. Well, let's go, right? And remember, uh, you got to stay in aerobic shape and fitness, too. Sure. And so how are you going to do that? And if you're not... Well trained. How do you just add water and put them back in for the playoffs? So, at this point in time, I hope to be wrong, but I think it's more likely he misses the rest of the entire season than returns in the regular season.
0: Um, Doctor David Chow at Pro Football Doc, as you heard there, um, are they kicking the can down the road with the messaging? Hey, we'll reevaluate him in four weeks. It's like, there's, what's the messaging four weeks from now? Well. You when know, you hear that timeline.
8: <laughs> yeah. Well, four weeks is a very common timeline to just say. And they're not saying he's playing in four weeks. They're just reevaluating. And that's fair. Right. But I don't know about you guys. I heard about all the delays getting into the flights to Vegas because the president was here and this, that, the other. But let me tell you something. When you have a 723 flight and they say it's delayed to 8 o'clock it's not leaving at 8 o'clock. When they say it's 9 o'clock, that's just an approximation. That's just a check back with me at 9 o'clock. When they post nine twelve, that's a departure time, okay? <laughs> and right now, yes, there's a little bit of kicking the can, I believe four weeks, and we'll see. And it's fair. They don't know right now. I don't even know the surgery's been done yet. I mean, I don't know. But, yeah, it is fair to kick the can a little bit. But that's a a check back with me. But your your
0: intuition, again, you don't know the scans, you don't know what it looks like, is that he will not play in the regular season. What about would you, if you were advising the Sixers, could you say he didn't play one regular season game since January, he can ramp up and play playoff games?
8: Well, you know, the ramp up is, you know, obviously – done behind the scenes and slowly i'm just saying it's more likely
0: which is april 20th by the way
8: yes i'm just saying it's more likely that he doesn't play again this year than plays in the regular season now is it possible that he ramps up and then can get something in the playoffs and and maybe Mm. but you know i think we'd all agree the biggest thing is what is the long-term health of Joel Embiid's knee? That has to be, first and foremost, what everyone So he to could be about.
0: cleared to play, and they could come together, Congress, uh, President, and uh, uh, the uh, Supreme Court, and yeah. say, even though he's cleared, we don't even want to see him play in the playoffs because of lack of action
8: this season. You know, whether it's chemistry of the team, whether it's fitness, whether it's you know, risking further wear and tear on the knee. Uh, And, you know, maybe sometimes you make a decision, too, to say, okay, we have him back, but his knee's going to swell again. If we push him back now, we're better off not doing that. Or does it sometimes hurt the team to say, you're back one game and out the next and back another game and out the next, or or is being definitive and coming up with a new game plan better for the Sixers? So a lot of things enter into this from the behind-the-scenes perspective. And I don't know what's going on in the Sixers' offices, but I can give you some description of what they will be thinking about.
1: Uh, Wanted to ask you one quick football question since we're here at the Super Bowl. We watched Jalen Hurts play this year. If you watch clips of Jalen Hurts from last year when the Eagles went to the Super Bowl and clips of this year, the burst in his running just did not seem to be there, especially in the second half of the season. Did you see anything that makes you go, there might be something in that knee? Well, there's
8: no question he was dealing with something in the knee, right? Uh, We talked about it and eventually injury report and he admitted to something, but there was nothing any specific. We did not see any specific video that said, oh, that was a meniscus tear, this was this, that, the other. Our presumption was it was a bone bruise that he was playing through. And was he affected this year? I think he was. Here's the thing. I don't care how many players you have on an injury report for the Eagles. And it's not just the Eagles. It's around the league. It's not just the two or three names that are on there. Look at this Super Bowl. Teams in the regular season travel a minimum of five athletic trainers and physical therapists and a minimum of three team physicians. They're not doing it for two people, right? It's normal to have wear and tear and whatever. Let's look at this Super Bowl. Uh, You know, Travis Kelsey. A little time off, he's a little rejuvenated, right? I mean, uh, kind of thing. And so uh, there's no question the game of football, there's a lot of wear and tear and injuries. If you see guys walk around, you know, on Mondays, they're stiff and sore. There's not, everybody has something. There's no question he had something. But I don't know that something was something that required offseason surgery. Gotcha.
0: Uh, Dr. David Chow at Pro Football Doc. Uh, it was awesome to uh, just randomly see you walking through here and for you to agree to sit with us and give us such detailed interpretations of uh, this. I mean, this is a major injury. Joel Embiid's one of the superstars of this game, and it's still a little unclear of what actually has gone on here. A tear, and the meniscus is so tricky. We've seen Joel Embiid play with this injury last yes. year in the playoffs. So the fact that he's not playing, is there a messaging there that last year he did play? So if these were the playoffs and they needed them, could he have played through this? We don't well, well, that's probably part, have this
8: That's part of the fun of doing what you do and perhaps what I do. Ultimately, the story will come out. We're just yep. letting it unfold the way that it is. And and they're doing this, the right thing, and it makes sense from their side. And. Thanks for stopping me. I love Philly. I yeah, mean, I got to get. I haven't been back to Philly in a while. I mean,
0: our uh, signal is down in Atlantic City, so we're uh, always at the casinos. This is just a bigger casino. Than
8: we've been <laughs> oh, at. okay. Well, is, maybe there's the there's the casino action, but yeah. I got to get back from some pats or genos. Yeah, right? man. Yeah.
0: <laughs> uh, good to see you. Good to talk to you. Okay. All thank right, you. everybody. Doctor David Chow here on the Sports Bash Live at ProFootballDoc. Doc. You can follow him on Twitter. He's got a great podcast. If you are one of those people that likes the instant information on the injuries, you can check out him. And, of course, everybody follows him on Twitter for injury news and information. So the takeaway there, Scott, sounds like he
1: doesn't think Embiid's coming back this year. No, I think there's a lot to unpack there, and even long-term, Mike. I mean, it's very concerning when you look beyond this season to the future. You know, because people say you want if, if you're going to trade Joel Embiid, you want to do it when the value is high. I don't think it's going to be any higher than now. And that's where you have to wonder what's in the best interest for the Sixers with the second injury, second tear to that, uh, as he called it, potential tear to that uh, meniscus. Man, it does not sound good long-term, but he tried not to be a doom and gloom guy. <laughs> well, uh, take from that what you will. This is the Sports Fast
0: live on Radio Row here in Las Vegas, and of course, uh, man, it's been a fun time. We've had a lot of talk uh, with some great people. We're going to be doing it all week long from here. We are at the fabulous this place about is that? massive, man. This place is massive. It's like a city in and of itself. But we couldn't be here if it wasn't for our friends at uh, Ernest & Sons Meat Market. Ernest and & Sons in Brigantine has a reputation as your big game headquarters. Open seven days a week from 9 to 4. Open early 2 to 6, 1588. Ernest & Sons Meat Market, big game, catering, delivery, or pickup. That's my guy, Mel, always supporting us here so we can bring you the big interviews from the big game headquarters. Ernest & Sons Meat Market in Brigantine. I'm Mike Gill. He's Scott Grayson. This is the Sports Pass Live on Radio Row. It's the Spy from Mandalay Bay on Radio Row in Las Vegas, home of Super Bowl 58. Here's Mike Gill and Scott Grayson. All right, Sports Pass Live, 97.3 ESPN on Radio Row here in Vegas. Mike Gill, Scott Grayson, and of course, your home for Eagles football. We are going to be joined, thanks to Tide, the big guy, Fletcher Cox is here. This is going to be great. Now, Fletcher Cox, if you have seen the commercials? It's Fletcher, Kelsey, and Milada, who flew on the flight with yeah. you. A six-eight yeah. man flew on an American Airlines flight with him. He, he did he fly first class <laughs> though? Oh, sure he did. Yes. Okay, all right. So that's well, all right. At least
4: he flew first class and didn't cheap out. And
0: yeah. that's Fletcher Cox right there, representing Tide. Um, now, being in the commercial with those guys—that—that's your acting debut.
4: Might might have been. I got. I might have some opportunities down the road. I get a sad so. card. Yeah, you know, I might. I might have. An, I, um, that was my debut. I. I was told I did really, really good. Uh, so you know, it was about eight hours with with Kels and. Uh, oh, Kelsey's a ham. He he's the pro at this. With Kelsey and and Milada, and, Mulata. and uh, it was fun. You know, it was. There was times where you know, obviously everybody saw that we were under the pile. Um, was it a true pile? <laughs> Wouldn't y'all like to know?
0: <laughs> it's like a sphere, it's just like a an image of a pile and you guys blasted out of yeah, it. Hey, it
4: was so fun though, you know. Now,
0: um, I know you got to run. Like we've been telling the people Fletcher was kind of he saw us at Philly guys. I'm going to sit down. It was a weird season. It was an awesome season. It got a little off the trails, but the first question is does Fletcher Cox know whether he'll be back next year? <laughs>
4: That's been everybody's first question all day. <laughs> and I give them the same answer. I don't know. All right. <laughs> you, you want to come back, though, right? <laughs> I give everybody the same answer. I don't know.
0: Well, it's Vegas, baby. You know, Whatever it's, happens here stays here, so you can tell us.
4: Yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> I can tell y'all and probably the million people that's listening. <laughs>
1: so so you guys had uh, uh, a rough end of the season, obviously. Have you mentally been able to put that behind you now and and, uh, and kind of move on?
4: No, I kind of sucked, man. You know, like the way that the season ended and – you know, I was sad for, you know, for, for, for some time because I really just could never put my finger on, like, what went wrong, you know. And, and it is frustrating when you can't put your finger on what went wrong or, you know, things that maybe I could have done better, you know, as a leader, as a player, as a teammate, um, you know. And, and, and you still, I still to this day really don't know what went wrong. You know, it just, it went wrong. Yeah. And you have years like that and, you, you know, then you kind of find your way back. But we kind of never found our way back, and, and, you know, we end up losing, having to go on the road in the first round of the playoffs, and we lose the way that we did, which was, again, you're still trying to figure out what happened and what went wrong.
0: I know you got to go. Vic Fangio, does that change, help, deter your decision at all?
4: For me and Vic, you know, we, when you he know was Vic. there as a um, as, as a consultant, obviously, you know, we talked a lot. You know, he, he loved ball. You know, he, he coaches it hard, and I got a bunch of respect for him.
0: Fletcher Cox, tied. Look for him in the commercial. It's Fletcher lotta, Kelsey, life is busy. Get tied. Ty can tackle any pile, even if Fletcher Cox is in the pile.
4: It does, and that was a big pile. And if I trust Ty, you should too.
0: <laughs> big Fletch, Fletcher Cox, everybody here you. on your home for Eagles football 97-3 ESPN. We'll be back with more on Radio Row. City. It's the Sports Bash, live from Mandalay Bay on Radio Row in Las Vegas, home of Super Bowl 58. Here's Mike Gill and Scott Grayson. Football at Four, powered by the Inside the Birds podcast. Yes, Mike and Scott Grayson, our annual trek to Radio Row. And we want to thank our great sponsors for this year's edition of Radio Row at Mandalay Bay. In Vegas, Adam Kaplan is actually live out here. He's going to be headed over here in just a minute. Mike and Scott brought to you by Ernest & Sons, old-fashioned meat market, Brigantine. The reputation as your big game headquarters, seven days a week, 9 to 4. Order early for the big game. Catering, delivery, or pickup. That's Ernest & Sons, old-fashioned meat market, butcher shop in Brigantine. Clark's moving in storage. They move me. They can move you as well. Clark's Moving and Storage is a breeze with all of the ability to move you into your new home with Clark's Moving and Storage. And, of course, Adam Kaplan from Inside the Birds, the podcast, which you can get on all podcasting platforms. Just search Inside the Birds. Here comes Adam. I see him walking towards us right now. And we just heard from Fletcher Cox. You just heard that full conversation with Fletcher Cox. We're going to get a little insight from Adam on the event that's going on. And we just heard from Fletcher Cox. And, um, you know, Fletcher, we asked him, you coming back? And he said, don't know. Doesn't have the answer Whoa. to the question. Um, there you go. Asked him if Vic Fangio changes his opinion at all. He said, don't know. Very non-committal, uh, Adam Kaplan. Wow. Not that you thought he would say definitively or
3: nope. No hints. Body language. Li- sim- I got no hints. Well, I- wait a I- minute. You look. You guys know body language. He was sitting right here in front of right you, there, here on right on a Radio Row, in the seat you're in, Mister Grayson of Grayson's Grades. We, we need to know. We need I, to would, know. I-, I would. Language, say, X-Men. I would B- body language I would say body language told me nothing. No, he was very. I got uh, no he hints. Was- Poker face, I- huh? He-, he
1: told me basically what I saw from his uh, his body language was all my options are open. Uh, and that's the way really he wants to leave it. Now, I did. I took away what he said about Vic Fangio a little bit there. I thought there were a lot of compliments built in there um, that he liked about Vic. Uh, and then, and then the other thing Adam we talked to him about was just what went wrong at the end of the season. And he said, "Right now, I still, I still can't put my finger on it."
3: Yeah, yeah.
1: Uh, uh, Josh, I think
3: most people feel that
0: way. Yeah. Josh, can you play that bite from Fletcher so Adam can hear it? Here we go. This is uh, Fletcher Cox moments ago.
4: I was sad for you know for some time because. I really just could never put my finger on, like, what went wrong, you know. And and, it is frustrating when you can't put your finger on what went wrong or, you know, things that maybe I could have done better, you know, as a leader, as a player, as a teammate. I still to this day really don't know what went wrong.
0: I mean, that's a guy who's like, I was sad thinking about, like, I don't know what happened. Like, it's a pretty powerful comment right there, I thought.
3: You know, Mike, we, you know, on Inside the Birds, Mosher and I, and Andrew Ducecco as well, we've been through you know what people tell us what did the tape look like it was you know i'm a little bit older than you guys my lifetime of of philly collapses i was not alive when the phillies had in 64 this was look we knew they were kind of a fraudulent 10 and 1 team they were just skating by but it's how they lost six out of seven i just interviewed james connor of the cardinals on with me on sports grid and I said, "Did you put your big boy pads on against the Eagles?" And He laughed. He goes, "Man, we ran it and we ran it. Look, that game they couldn't stop him. There was to no be, answer to be non-competitive in this sport." And can you believe Jeffrey Lurie? I, I can't imagine what he would have felt after the Tampa Bay game. Right. So you. So let's fast forward this. That's the inexplicable thing. You. You can't. There were such. There were so many things going on. Right. We didn't even talk about the offense. Terrible tackling. New defensive coordinator. New play caller, and it, it was bad because Patricia tried to do his own thing. Guys are out of position. Didn't know what they were doing. It just snowballed, and it couldn't stop. And then they show the head coach against Tampa Bay, that glazed look. Like he's kind of lost the team. Right. It's always subjective. You can't really tell, but it looked bad. So there you go. It's like it's everything. Cox is right because it's not just one thing. It's everything. Coaching players and injuries go ahead
1: and you mentioned the the coach the glazed look that's the same guy that's yelling at chiefs fans and colts fans and
3: losses losses scott there's a term that uh, john t flip with the former eagles coach uses when uh when he would come on our show he, he did some uh tape reviews for our patreon people and he goes a coach can never lose a stinger that's a ter- that's a coaching term about energy and passion and juice now here's the question scott on what you brought up can i get it back yeah how do you get it back because i've been thinking about that because he's been like that, just like you brought up against Kansas City. And I've seen him through. I, th- I saw Sirianni throw out Kenny Gawad out of. Uh, out of uh, he, he told Jamal Singleton. It was two years ago it, when they played the Browns, when they were practicing with the Browns at Browns camp. He said, get him to bleep out. I mean, he went off. Like, this guy calls himself a hot-blooded Italian. So now, to fast forward here, can he get it back? I can't answer that. That's and a great he, point you bring up, Scott. I don't he, know.
1: Can he do it as CEO and not. Anything well, more? you know he's
3: been a CEO, but here's the difference: is uh, Cosell, Greg Cosell and I were talking about. It's not his offense anymore. That's the difference. So that input, it's not. He doesn't know Kellen Moore's offense. Mm-hmm. So what's he going to do now? Here's what he can do. And I saw I saw Sean McVay do this when when McVay thought the defense was losing it, and he's only time he's ever done this in their OTAs. As one of the coaches told me he went he's, he went through their all season program mostly with the defense because he felt that he had to do it because he knew he was the play caller. He's got the offense taken care of. I remember when Andy Reid, when things were really bad with Jim Washburn and Juan Castillo, and the defense had fallen apart in 2010 and 2011, he was spending a lot of time with the defense, which he never did. Mm. So on Nick's point during his press conference with Tim McManus asked him that question, which is hilarious. Yeah. I love Timmy. I nice used to work with him at ESPN. Great question. Well, what are you? Well, not only you, you've been a CEO and a coach, but now you could spend time wherever you need it. And yeah, he because he's not calling plays. Sometimes he won't have the headset on. He'll go over if because Nick was a receiver at college at Mountain Union. He'll go over to the young receivers that they draft. Hey, you're not running it right. So he could become a better coach in a way. I know it sounds strange, but he could. Uh, Adam
0: Kaplan, football at four. Um, you know we're going to talk about the spectacle that is Radio Row. Pretty close cool. my twenty
3: third, by the way. Uh, <laughs> wow.
0: We did ask uh, Zach Berman was on with us earlier. I asked him if Howie made one big splash. What is it? See if your answer matches his. Position, not player. Cornerback. He said young corner. In is, Denver. Is that the definitive, like, must-have this offseason?
3: No, because it, it, I, I know how bloggers love to quote me. I'm not, I don't know anything yet on certain. I'm not saying they're even going to. Oh, I'm not saying. Yeah, yeah. I'm not saying. Yeah. You, said, what De- happens you is, said Denver, not me. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> no, no. What I'm saying is only because I know they called D- Denver during the trade deadline. I'm not the only. Yeah, a lot yeah. of reporters know this. It just happens to be, and, and how it's so funny you say that because they're so bad a corner. No, it could be a safety like Justin Simmons. Who knows? who's also in Denver. Again, these are fan favorite guys. Still, the reason why I'm bringing it up. But yeah, I, I feel like they're going to make a big splash. Like Jeff and I, since we've done the Inside the Birds, this is our seventh year. Oh my God, what is time gone? Some years were very quiet. We got relaxed, folks. gonna be heavy for ages. Sometimes we have a feeling. I haven't asked yet, mm-hmm. but I just get this feeling because they crashed and burned. Their defense is terrible in the back end. I don't know if they're going. to – what are they picking? at, twenty-two is that right? Twenty-two, okay. And then two in the second. The metro, the, the uh, Quinian Metro, who I really like at Toledo. He had a great week. I don't know if he's going to make it to twenty-two. It might be a top fifteen pick. I don't know if that corner is going to be there. I don't know if that edge rusher is going to be there. They got to they got to redo the back end. The back end's terrible. So yeah, I, I, free agency. That's a good one. We we got to see what they do with James Bradbury's contract. I was just
1: going to yeah. ask about that. How do you how do you get out from that, or what do you do?
3: You take eleven million dollars. What you do is they own just under eleven million dollars, fully guaranteed, whether he's on the roster or not. Nobody's taking his contract because he 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 should have been benched. Mm-hmm. Let's call it like it is. He just he he, he regressed to the point where Ringo Ringo was a nice little story. He's not ready to be a starter. Rich is a really nice story. He's not ready to be a starter, so they couldn't do it. But that's another thing, guys. They because we're doing uh, for our show on inside the birds our next show, which we will tape you on Thursday. We did our our offensive free uh, just that we went over the free agents. We're doing defense, folks. That's a train wreck on defense. <laughs> the back seven, like this is well, it's, it's funny stuff. Uh, and one of the things Zach said, he said they're
0: definitely going to have changes in the back seven. Like, major major changes, and just in, in the secondary, you know, the problem is they need changes. And they're all contractually obligated to slay Bradbury. Well, Slay's not going anywhere, but no man, Bradbury? But, oh. But you can't overhaul Byard, a whole position yeah. when they're all under contract. He you, knows. You might be, a, yes. Kyle man. Turley knows. Yeah, he does know. What's,
3: Kyle, how are you, man? Good to see you. Um, he knows what it's like to have a contract. Yeah, and,
0: and you can't just say we're going to wipe out three guys who are all under contract. You might be able to say, we'll eat one, but not all three. Right? You've got Bayard, you've yeah. got Blankenship, you've got
3: Maddox. You've got, they're all under contract. Well, Bayard's here. Byard will definitely be here. But, you know, he's, should he be a starter? Right. He kind of dropped off and he had some injuries. So, yeah, they, uh, they've they got a whole new back end. Yeah, they got a lot going on, man. All right,
0: so let's talk. Um, how many years is this for you here? 23. 23.
3: My first one, guess which one it was. And, Rich, I'm going to give you a hint. I had to bring it up. And Rich Gannon was with me today on, Syria, on Sports Grid. That's a hint. So it was Raiders. Bucks. Terrible game. Tampa. And I got yet up by the Raiders when I said it's my favorite Super Bowl because the week was great in San Diego, man. The game that the, Eagles, the, last one was the Eagles fans all felt that they should have been in that game, right? Oh, two.
0: Well, one of the losses to Tampa in the NFC Championship. Yeah, yeah,
3: yeah, yeah. And I could see Joe Jervish still yeah. running. So yeah, right. I, I was at that game as a fan. So the
0: evolution yeah. of this for you, you've been to a bunch of them.
3: I was so bright-eyed and inexperienced. I didn't know what I was doing at the first uh, radio row. And it was only my third year covering the National Football League. I was actually covering the NBA and NFL at the same time, and which is impossible to do it from a full-time basis. But I like it. I actually, I was telling a, a, a program director I know from a station out west, I do more business on renewals for my radio deals out here than anything I do in my, in my career. I'll have five new deals when I'm out here. Nice. <laughs> Just because uh, all the program directors are out here. Yeah. Oh, now, actually, I should say, oh, a lot of stations are not coming out anymore.
0: Uh, this one is, uh, I said, like the, 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 the um –
3: is it good for you guys?
0: Oh yeah. It's it's a very good opportunity to, you know, we talked to Cox. I see you Cox. every year, We're yeah. We're not getting Treasure right. Cox on.
3: How did you get him? He was standing next to us. You just said
0: <laughs> hey The girl that was yeah. with him with, with Tide okay. was from Philly. Oh uh, yeah, yeah I she said, said, said hey, yeah, yeah. hey, can we have him for seven minutes, even though you want us to talk to him for nine? Yeah. And she said, looked at me like no, she didn't have time. And I kept like, you know, hey, about three minutes. Right, 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 three. And Three or five was
3: six. And then she
0: inevitably brought him over, and he just went. He just started going. It's good um, stuff, man. But, uh, yeah, so uh, the, the, the spectacle that is this thing, you've talked about how many different people, um, it just keeps, like, every year you're kind of looking around. So, and
3: so in 2002, this is the crazy story, the week of the Super Bowl, Barrett Robbins, the, the Raiders center, went AWOL. He just had a mental breakdown, and he left. And Jay Glazier had that report about he just left the team and during the week, and I didn't... Think about that, and we have the Eugene Robinson situation, which we won't go right, into. You can right. research it, folks. It's kind of not great. <laughs> but we rarely get any controversies anymore, and, and and the craziness of being in Las Vegas. I don't really. This is kind of weird for me to be. I've been. I, I uh, I've been. My first time I stayed in Vegas at the Excalibur, which is connected to this in 1989. So yeah, it's fun coming out here because it's great to see people who I work with at ESPN who are out here. Most of us are not there anymore, but no, it's uh, it's good to be here. So, how many years, Mike, have you been here?
0: I think this is five or six. Yeah, seems like longer that. than that. Well, I went to New York and then took a little break, and yeah. then uh, Atlanta, Minneapolis, Minneapolis Miami, yeah. Phoenix, and, and now. By the
3: way, that's you were there at the Super Bowl in, in, for the Eagles. Remember, it was in the food court. Yeah. How ridiculous it was! Oh yeah.
0: It now was, it's funny you said it because there's a, a bunch of people I've talked to this week leading up to this that said they
3: liked that. One. I didn't because I kept walking, kept falling over myself. Because remember, it was enclosed. So it was a circle, and you couldn't move. Every table was 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 right next to you. Oh, you were there? Yeah, it was was bad. But that was a fun week. It was cold as heck. (laughs) And I'm so glad for all the Eagle fans. Atlanta. I was in Atlanta, too. Atlanta. Which one? Yeah.
0: Uh, The most recent one. Okay, cool. And I didn't go to Tampa because sure. there was like you know and then they had one in LA recently which I did not go to now next year's New Orleans I was talking to the New Orleans that's guy over a, there. always
3: a fun one man that's I, what everybody says that that's the best and I, I don't Jambalaya real, over there yeah Jambalaya. yeah they, they, I thought you Jambalaya.
1: <laughs> you know
0: that fun, Mike I do Uh, a little Seinfeld reference. You got it. (laughs) All right, Adam. Well, I know you got a lot of stuff to do. I do, boys. Uh, Good Eagles uh, information. Yeah, man. Good conversation. I got to hear this interview
3: with Fletcher. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. we will email it to you. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. There's Adam Kaplan.
0: All right, SportsBash Live football at four, brought to you by the Inside the Birds podcast, and of course, uh, Bet three six five. Go to bet three six five dot com. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. All right, when we come back, it's going to be a very interesting conversation. Uh, I just see something on his uh, bio here. Oh, yeah. There you go. Yep. Um, and uh, so Brian Woods is the founder of the USFL, which now combined with the XFL, and now he is launching a prep super league, which a lot of high school parents in our area uh, will want to listen to why this could be something interesting for you. That's coming up next here on the Sports Bash live on Radio Row. Thanks to our friends over at Ernst & Sons Old Fashioned Butcher Shop and Clark's Moving and Storage. Brian Woods will join us for a cool conversation coming up next. It's the Sports live from Mandalay Bay on Radio Row in Las Vegas, home of Super Bowl 58. Here's Mike Gill and Scott Grayson. Hi, right, we're back live on Radio Row at the Mandalay Bay in Vegas. Mike Gill, of course, my... Super Bowl Radio Road Week partner every year is Scott Grayson, and we are uh churning along. We've had a lot of great stories, a lot of great information, and we are joined now by Brian Woods, who was uh, the founder of the latest version of the USFL, which then merged with the XFL, and they're going to be launching their conglomerate league here after this season of the NFL is over. And then off of that, you will now launch a prep super league coming up in 2024, and uh, this is going to be very interesting and, I think, a very educational type of conversation for the listeners and parents out there. So a Jersey guy, and most importantly, uh, he went to WVU, got a law degree from WVU. So we got three WVUers. Scott worked there. You went to law school and I just party. <laughs> What's going on, Brian? Oh, it was
6: great to be here. And WV, Morgantown is a, is a great place. Great place to raise a family too. So even if you're just there partying to, to, and determined you want to settle down after your partying days, great place to be. So.
0: Yeah. Uh, it, it is definitely, uh, an interesting spot to call home for a while. So, uh, tell us a little bit about this venture and, and your kind of vision, uh, for, uh this prep super league in a time of NIL and the college football landscaping just changing right before our, our very eyes where you see this kind of helping fitting in what it's doing for what's happening with college athletics and and high school athletics
6: well look given my background the better part of the past of past, past decade rather i've been entrepreneurial and launching sports properties uh, specifically in the football realm but most importantly I saw what was happening in the college sports landscape as you just mentioned with with the transfer portal with the proliferation of NIL um and you know just what the transfer portal what, what was doing to uh, the number of scholarships that were being offered to high school players being reduced by 4 to 500 you know fewer each year. So I saw an opportunity uh and with college sports becoming the new NFL especially the SEC and the Big 10 I thought what if you know, given my media experience and experience with other sports leagues, what if I could go into these these cities that historically produced the most amount of talent, the Houston's, the Miami-Fort Lauderdales, Atlanta, you know, Los Angeles, and get the best four- and five-star players to come and play? I feel like I could put a product in the field that would be commensurate with uh, some UT on Saturdays versus high school football. And so I thought... I could effectively create the new NCAA. Uh, but most importantly, there's no supplemental platform out there to traditional 11 on 11 football. So I saw some boys in the marketplace, but because of the transfer portal, because of what college sports is becoming, I felt like there was an opportunity. I thought the next big area for, for, you know, real media value really does kind of lie in elite high school sports, and we're, we're doing that with the prep Super so League. So
0: is this, um, You know, baseball has their AAU, basketball has AAU, football really doesn't. You can't play AAU football. You you can't play that much football. But is this kind of the answer to being able to play more than just for your high school team to get exposure?
6: I think it's both. I think number one, because there's no national platform, even with AAU, you got to take that into context. That. In Long Island, New York alone there's probably three hundred AAU basketball teams, mm-hmm. right? Okay. This it's one town, one team. So it's very exclusive. We're only in twelve markets to start Wait, with.
0: this isn't I'm paying to be on the AAU team to stay in there. You're saying you have to be the best of the best to be on this type of team.
6: And in a market like Houston, to be on the roster in Houston, you're gonna probably have to be a four star player or above. And there's only four about three hundred, you know, four star players per class each year. And so really these this is for the most competitive player. Um, and it's, it's different in the sense that um, it's, it's not AAU, and the, the level of competition is going to be very elite week in and week out.
1: So if, if anybody listening in our area has someone they think is uh, talented enough to be able to do this, but there's no team in their area, can they?
6: try to petition one of these teams and how do you yeah. do that? Yeah, so look, we want to be as inclusive as possible and so what we've said is that look, we're, we're only in 12 markets this year we, and we tried to focus on the markets that historically produced the most amount of talent But if you're in an area that doesn't have uh, a prep Super League team and you're ambitious enough, whether it be coming to practices, making sure you're there for the games and you live outside the market, we would certainly um, afford you that opportunity should you elect to do that. We also have, you know, you can go to our website and apply and we, we vet all these applications or, you know, players applying every day to be considered for a roster spot. They can – there's a a box where they can check, you know, bring a prep Super League team to my market to kind of see where we're getting interest from. But we know there's markets right now we're not in that that – are are not going to be represented in year one, and and one of them is quite frankly the D.C. Maryland area. There's so much talent that comes out of that area. Charlotte, Tavon North, T- Austin, uh, T- Tavon, perfect example. But there's a lot of really good players <laughs> well, uh, uh, in like that market. Jersey oh.
0: itself, I mean, just the state of yeah. New Jersey is just loaded with with talent. I mean,
6: well, New Jersey will have a team. They will have a team in this market. I think the hard part is. You know, because of where I live, I want to make sure that team. Oh, so is a
0: Upper Saddle that is, River. That
6: is correct. Um, that is resident native. Right.
0: Will you? Will, Bergen County.
6: It is Bergen County, and so I think which, which is you, loaded with talent. It's loaded with talent. When you look at Bosco, which is not even five minutes from my house, and I think the, the head football coach there is already recruiting my son, who's only five years old, because <laughs> he's off the growth <laughs> charts. So they start recruiting very young there in, in Bergen County. But the bottom line is, uh, with Bosco, with um, uh, Paramus Catholic, Bergen Catholic, um, uh, St. Joe's. There's very good uh, private school football played in that area, and I think it's fitting to have a team there. But I but I also think that, you know, we're hoping to pull some kids uh, from South Jersey to play for that team, if not, by year two, have a team in South Jersey and in the Philly area.
0: Right. Wow. So, uh, for instance, a kid at Millville, uh, Latier yeah. Brooks, right? He would be a guy that would be potentially a guy that would this would help or, or work for. Yeah. I mean, now, you know, he's obviously getting offers already, but – How is the NIL helping, affecting a part of this?
6: So NIL, again, without NIL, I think five years ago, before the proliferation of NIL at the high school level, this would have been a good business model. But I really needed that catalyst, if you will, to attract a star player. And so when NIL became more relevant or more specifically being passed and legislated in certain states that we wanted to be in that was really important for us. And so we're being very strategic. We we pulled a team that was otherwise going to be in Ohio this year and sold it to an investment group in Denver. Now Denver has a team. We're looking at potentially now subbing out another one of our markets to move into a state that does have NIL. So we're being very proactive in that respect. You
0: just said something though like so all right so you uh, found the, the USFL. I did. Yes. The original original USFL was used to basically like you just kind of mentioned something that made me think of it was you needed something well they paid their players more and they were able to leave college early
6: that's well no they decided herschel walker right but herschel walker could enter
0: the nfl draft but he could go to the usfl so
6: well let me tell you something even even the usfl at that time didn't have the policy but it was herschel walker's agent who went to the usfl on his behalf and said look there's been some ncaa investigation here we think he's going to be ruled ineligible Would you allow him to play? And so even the USFL said, you know what? We're going to do something the NFL isn't doing. We're going to start taking underclassmen. My position with the USFL, and this was kind of conversations that CEO of Fox Sports, Eric Shanks, and I had the beginning days of USFL, is that we were going to be very proactive and we were going to do things differently. We were not necessarily going to go after players that were just good enough to make NFL training camp rosters only to be released in the beginning of September we wanted to take advantage of the transfer portal. We wanted to look for that younger player. We wanted to develop our own product and obviously it was not to be, but that was kind of my vision for the new USFL is that we were going to be very aggressive in our talent procurement. It just didn't. Philosophically, there were some differences, obviously. As you guys have gone, as you're as you're
1: starting this up, what has been the reaction through colleges? What kind of reaction are you getting from colleges about, about this? Because i got to believe they're going to yep. enjoy seeing these high-level players against other high-level players.
6: Yeah, so first and foremost, we're going to be a very data-driven league, so we're going to have a sensor in the football. We've partnered with a company, Shot, wow. Shot Tracker, and they are state-of-the-art in terms of player data tracking, so you're going to see data points coming out of the Prep Super League that have never been measured before, not, not even in college, but let alone high school, because some of the things we're doing with Shot Tracker are newer products that they're just taking to market right now. We do believe that You start putting the best four and five star players up against each other week in and week out. Plus you fill the remaining roster spots with guys that we think are right on the cusp, but that you know, you look at the star rating system, it's a joke. Who's actually evaluating these kids? (laughs) So we know who the four and five star kids are because they have multiple offers, but quite frankly, a lot of the kids that are getting multiple offers are only getting them because they have this offer. Like Oregon won't offer a kid until they know they have an offer from UCLA or another school. So it's, it's kind of interesting how these kids are evaluated at that level. But we do know that um, because it's going to be a very data-driven league, because of the data points coming out of it, um, and we've gotten very favorable responses already from a lot of NCAA FBS schools because this is going to be a great place to come and evaluate kids between mid-April and late May is when their co- coaches are all out evaluating players. So that part is yes. leading
0: me to where I was going to ask you anyway. But the USFL model, the – your version played in one venue and then i think the second year you played in two venues right Or maybe three
6: yeah it was Is all, this it, going to uh, be
0: a traveling home or at a neutral sighted type of situation I,
6: you know i tell people this all the time and i say this you know with, without joking that i think we really are creating the world's strongest sports league meaning that our players are from their respective markets, and so with the exception of a kid who decides he's ambitious enough to travel outside his market and and play for a respective prep super league team, yeah, our players are from their market. So we're not going to, you know, be in one hub. And our teams will travel. We will have air travel involved with some of our games. All right. So
1: you mentioned uh, your entrepreneurial ideas. You're yeah. always trying to think of things. You mentioned the chip in the football. Yes. Is this something you think could make its way into the game? in college and oh, the NFL? Already. Well,
6: it's, it's, it's already there to some extent. Obviously, the NFL is, is obviously ahead of the curve on us and has a much bigger budget. But we're very excited about what we're doing with Shot Tracker. And we think this data is going to be quite valuable. And it's, it's not just something that we're going to be able to share with the colleges but with the nfl as well because everybody's trying to get a jump everything's moving up sooner and sooner uh and look even some of our guys some of our top players kids that are coming in we just signed a kid dorian brew he's probably one of the top players in the country top 20 probably the best cornerback in the nation out of houston texas there's a situation where he might reclassify so his last season of football could in fact be this spring in the prep super league so that's happening we will get some of these top kids to decide this is going to be my senior season if i get injured it's less wear and tear in the body. Plus, I have a four year to recuperate before the upcoming spring, and not to mention the fact that twelve teams are going to make the postseason now. So every top player wants to come out mid year.
0: So is this a choice you have to make to play prep super league or high school? No,
6: no, not at all. But what is that I'm April is it, when? it's an April to through mid to late May. But again, are there situations where kids might use it as their senior season as their final uh, competition platform? Possible. Um, but it doesn't necessarily supplant their traditional high school gotcha. season. Yeah. Uh,
0: Brian Woods, the um, Prep Super League. How can people find more? If there's somebody listening right now, we actually have a couple people texting in. Got Somebody wants to text in and produce the, <laughs> the, 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 the video for the uh, Let's do The it. New Jersey team. I,
6: we, we answer every email. We're very cordial to our fans. And, um, and, and So and where
0: can they email you and get, or find out more about the prep super league
6: so if they want to contact the prep super league they can email us at info at prep super league.com. and as i mentioned we're always very good and proactive about returning emails they can visit us on the web at And then of course at prep super league for our social media handles tiktok uh, twitter and the like
0: very cool uh, a a fun uh idea conversation and it could be a game changer sounds in, like in it's going to
6: be successful yeah I hope so. That's you got a that's, WVU guy running it. it, it it's got to be. Right? I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm Major Harris on a, on a busted play. There you go.
0: You know, I uh, once spoke to Major Harris on the phone, unbeknownst to neither one of us, some guy I knew was his cousin, and say, here's Major Harris on the phone. And I was like, hello? <laughs> uh, so there's my one t- I'm a little, uh, little young to have covered Major Harris, but uh, that was my one time talking to Major Harris. The Prep Super League launching spring 2024 for the top-rated players. Uh, we'll have college playing roles, and uh, it's going to be very cool to follow. Brian, thanks so much, man.
6: Absolutely. It's great Great to be on with you guys.
0: All right. Uh, Sports Pass Live, 97.3 ESPN. Uh, we got a lot more to go here on this first day at Radio Row and that conversation with Brian Woods. Thanks to our friend Mel over at Ernest & Sons Old Fashioned Butcher Shop in Brigantine. It's your big game party place to get your sandwiches, trays, anything you need for the big game. They've got it over at Ernest & Sons in Brigantine. All right, coming up more sports fast live on radio row here inside the mandalay bay in las vegas it's the sports live from mandalay bay on radio row in las vegas home of super bowl 58 here's mike gill and scott grayson Hi, right, welcome back sports fast live 97.3 espn on radio row and at, uh what time is it uh, 440. 440. Yeah. <laughs> 440. <You're mad. laughs> Sorry. Uh, Clay Harper's with us. Former Eagle. Of course, has been on the show plenty of times with Believe. And, uh, man, we got a lot to get into on the game. Uh, Clay also, uh, Bears, Jacksonville. Yep. Played with a bunch of different teams. Uh, a lot of Eagles conversation you and I have had over the, the times, but this whole thing with Kingsbury going to com- the Commanders as the offensive coordinator, Makes your Bears team very – last year you came on the show and said you wanted the Bears to steal T.J. Edwards, and they did. Yeah. And now um, they have the number one pick. So I'll ask you, they signed the guy you wanted them to. What would you tell them to do now?
9: Okay, this is a tough... The city of Chicago is all bent out of shape over this. And, I mean, everybody's split, man. This is like... It's literally like Republican versus Democrat here. They're like Fields <laughs> versus Williams. Like, who are you taking? And these two don't like each other just like the Republicans and Democrats. It's literally that much of a line. Such a divisive topic. But in my opinion, I think the value of this number 1 pick when you still don't know about the quarterback. I know he's generational. People I've heard that term before. I mean Trevor Lawrence hasn't won a Super Bowl yet. He was generational. Uh I mean you, you go back to Andrew Luck. He never won a Super Bowl. He was generational. So in my opinion, you trade the number 1 pick. Okay, Cliff Kingsbury is going to want Caleb Williams. The Commanders. The starting offer everybody says is two picks and a player. That's a start. You get two picks and a player. Guess what? You can trade back again. Do you think? Do you think the the, the 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 Patriots are worried if some team wants to jump them? If they want to take Drake May, if they want to take uh, Jaden Daniels, you could trade back again and get two more first. You could I, legitimately trade I feel like down we're, twice. we're listening
0: to Draft
1: Day, the movie.
0: <laughs> well, listen, <laughs> I, future GM here, I, I legitimately would if I'm the Bears. This isn't even a question. I let Washington flip with me, and I take a bundle. And then I take calls, and I move again and get another bundle. Yes. If you have a quarterback, it like it's not like they have a journeyman. They just drafted a guy. I like Fields. Now the problem is, this all sounds good until you have to pay Fields. And then that changes the dynamic of what your franchise is.
9: It changes the dynamic. And the only thing, people are talking about the money situation where you go out and get players. That's not the problem with the money situation. The money situation is you end up being locked into Fields if he doesn't pan out like the Danny Dimes, you know, people in New York. You paid them, now you're stuck with them. Are they going to go get a quarterback when you got this guy in the books? Probably not. But here's my situation. If you could possibly pull those four first-round picks, now you don't have to go on free agency and sign big receiver, big offensive tackle, big edge rusher, big three-technique. You're telling me those five-year contracts would come out to less money than what one quarterback contract would be? No, you're actually saving money. In the long run, if you keep Fields and trade the number one pick, but the problem is you are locked into Fields. Trust me, I'm I'm finishing up my MBA, Kelly School of Business, Indiana, top 10 business school. I'm in accounting right now. The numbers are better if you keep Fields as far as money, but then you are locked into Fields. So to me, it comes, comes down to this. Fields has shown he can play in the NFL. So Fields plus four ones and another player or two. Do you like that more? than Caleb Williams and whatever you can get for Fields, which some say is a second-round pick, which isn't bad. But that's a lot versus a little, in my opinion, and it's still a risk. So you know you're going to hit on something if you trade that number one pick. So in my opinion, you, you fix the whole roster. You see Brock Purdy. People aren't saying Brock Purdy the best quarterback in the league. Look what he's got around him. Right. You could do something like that. You get another guy to go with. With DJ Moore, DJ Moore showing he's number one receiver. Right. This guy's was big time this year. And you get another receiver,
1: better protection up front, better
9: protection up front. You get some uh, another offensive lineman. I like Darnell Wright, the guy they drafted last year. Tevin Jenkins can play left or right guard. Besides that, you need a center. You got to get a center. Mm-hmm. I mean, their centers were awful. Left tackle Braxton Jones. He's a mediocre left tackle. I don't mind him, but you can upgrade that position. You can upgrade right guard. you got to get a center. You build that line. You get a three technique. You get another wide receiver. Now your team's actually competitive. And you forget the Bears, down the stretch with Fields, were actually pretty, pretty darn good. Yeah, competitive. Down the stretch. And their defense got much better. The defense, if you look at all the statistics from – the last seven to eight games of the year, they're a top-ten defense in every statistic. So
0: let's – uh Vic Fangio was in Chicago. He is now oh, yeah. Chicago in Philadelphia. Legend. Yeah. Do you like that fit for Philly, or would you have rather seen them go with a different principal mindset? You know, Gannon runs a Fangio style. Desai was a disciple of Fangio. And now they're getting Fangio. Would you have rather seen them say, you know what, we're going to scrap this Fangio – style and go a different way or do you like that they're sticking on this road with the guy who created it
9: yeah i i do not mind them sticking with fangio right because vic Fangio's safe okay you, you, it, you for me what happened last year was a tro- the end of the season that was brutal you did something safe you know this guy is smart you know he knows a ton of football you know he knows how to coach defense so you're being safe He's not going to be the best defensive coordinator in the league, probably, but he will be at worst, in my opinion, middle of the road. Last year, the Dolphins ranked tenth in defense; they were ninth in sacks, and that wasn't a great team. He fixed that defense; he helped them. But the but the, the the signing I like more, no pun intended, is Kellen Moore. You know, I think he. If you look at him, his his time in Dallas. Two of the three years in Dallas, he led the NFL in yards. Not two, not three. He led the NFL in yards. Two out of three years, he was first in points one year. He was second in points one year. In 2022, he had the number one red zone scoring offense at over 71 percent of the time in the red zone. They're scoring touchdowns, what the Eagles struggle at last year a lot. <laughs> scoring touchdowns. Kellen Moore, he, you know, I he struggled in in with the Chargers. Justin Herbert got hurt before Justin Herbert got hurt they were a top five offense too week six obviously Justin Herbert goes down he bangs up his finger tries to play hurt the wheels fall off that team I think Kellen Moore is a top
1: five offensive coordinator in the NFL big ringing endorsement there but uh we had we had Fletcher Cox sitting where you were uh not that long ago he and we asked him about you know the end of the season whether he's been able to put that behind him and 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 move on He said, man, he's still kind of sad, doesn't know what went wrong with that whole, what happened. You know, they still can't figure out what led to that collapse. When you were sitting there watching what was going on with that team from 10-1, and being talked about to be here right now, all the way down to what they ended up, what did you see? Well, I and think you've been st- in locker rooms. You
9: were player, you know. No, I've been in a bunch of locker rooms. I've been on good teams. I've been on a lot of bad teams. I've been on some teams that have lost. I was on the 2012 Eagle team when we lost eight straight games after starting, you know, three and one. Lost well, eight straight, nine straight games there with uh, Coach Reed's final year in Philadelphia. And I was a part of that when Chip Kelly came in. So I've been around some teams when you do have a losing streak, and it just seems like you can't do nothing right. What are we doing wrong? Okay, so for the Eagles' sake. I feel like obviously the injury bug bit him a little bit. The first thing you look at is Jalen Hurts took a step back. So you gotta you gotta say this offseason Hurts has gotta improve on on the blitz. End of the season, the biggest thing was the blitz. The guy act like he's never never seen zero blitz before and he wasn't getting the ball out and they just didn't have an answer for it. The second thing is defensive backfield. James Bradbury was getting beat like he stole something. I mean, this guy was just getting just beat after beat after. I'm like, what is going on with Bradbury? This guy took a huge step back. He didn't take a step back. He took a jump back. So Bradbury fixed that defensive backfield. Obviously, Avanti Maddox came back. He wasn't 100%. Slay was banged up here and there. He played okay. Give me some cornerbacks. And then linebackers. Linebackers are not a stepchild, right? Linebackers in the stepchild you ignore. Linebacker, Linebackers isn't that. They're not that. You need good quality linebackers. Two years ago you had T.J. Edwards and Kaiser yeah. White. The Bears got T.J. Edwards. Their defense improved so much because of T.J. Edwards is the captain of that defense. He played so well. The guy's a baller. If you don't pay your linebackers, if you don't care about linebackers, you're not going to be able to stop the run. Or the pass. I mean, they're big in the pass game, too. And talking to sources, I you know, I have a couple sources. They, the, the Eagles didn't even talk to T.J. Edwards or Kaiser Wright one time about an extension or bringing them back. On a 100% fact, yeah. they did not even pick up the phone and say, we want what you back. What was
0: your reaction then when you heard Howie in that presser? Or I don't know if you did hear him. He said, there's a perception that we don't value linebackers. We went out and got into Kobe Dean in the third round, and, and, you know, it was our intention to play him, and we still think about uh, that we still value him very high.
9: Well, the biggest mistake, I think, in the offseason that Howie Roseman made, if, if you look at bringing back James Bradbury for three years, what, $28 million, When you have... TJ Edwards signed for three years, eighteen million. You don't value you value linebackers. This linebacker was asked, got ten million less than the cornerback you brought back, and this guy was a captain of your defense. Don't tell me you value linebackers when you paid ten million more to a cornerback when this linebacker was obviously just as valuable as a cornerback. The guy that wanted to be in Philly, people, he wanted to go to Chicago. No, I know for a fact that he didn't. He loved Philly. He wanted to stay in Philly, but Philly did not value him. And that is what he felt, and that is why he ended up in Chicago and helping their defense. So to me, Kaiser White, I know for a fact he didn't get a phone call from the Eagles when he had a solid year. Obviously, he was banged up last year, and he was banged up a little bit with the Eagles. But he was another solid linebacker that you didn't even pick up the phone and say, hey, would you be interested in coming back at this price? Not even a... Not even a text message. Hmm. Didn't yeah. shoot him a text or an Instagram DM. Nothing. No contact. Right. No contact. Howie <laughs> Roseman via
0: Instagram DM.
1: Yeah. Well, with, and with the benefit of hindsight. Clay Harbor, by yeah. the way.
0: That was his. He would like to get a DM from yeah. Howie.
9: Hey, Howie, if you
1: want to DM me, bro, come on staff, actually. My DMs are open. <laughs> so gonna, I want to pivot back to something you said uh, a few moments ago about Jalen Hurts and the Blitz. What is the reason for that? Is that a lack of coaching, a disconnect on Jalen's part, uh, not recognizing stuff? Like where do you, where do you fix that? Yeah.
9: You know, me and Greg Cosell, we did a podcast this year called Inside the Tape on the Inside the Birds Network, and we tried to figure this out the whole year. What is going on? Like is this Jalen not seeing? Some, is this the protection calls? Is this Kelsey? Like no, to me, it comes back to Jalen because He has the power to make audibles and change the calls. And a lot of these routes that they did call, these route concepts, were terrible against the Blitz. You have 10-yard stops against the Blitz. You you literally couldn't pick. If you're trying to pick a worse route to run, that's (laughs) the worst one you can run. A 10-yard stop, you're going backwards. No, you need quick hitters, and their only outlets are, are... Are uh, little flat routes. You got to gash defenses when they blitz to make them not want to blitz you. You run slants. You run in breakers. You run out breakers. You run a post. You run routes where you can win quick and gash. Kellen Moore can do that. Kellen Moore can do that. He showed he can do that. And the Eagles have obviously the personnel. They have the personnel, and obviously uh, the Eagles. Lane Johnson's 34, but this guy's still playing a high level. Jordan Mylotte, in my opinion, he'll be here tomorrow. Yeah, uh, to me, he's had. He's had a very underrated year, in my opinion, is one of his best years he's ever ever had. I think uh, you know Kelsey's still Kelsey. Cam Jurgens, I, I I liked him. Landon Dickerson, you still got these guys coming back. Maybe Kelsey comes back. I I hope he's coming back. You heard what Travis said. Travis yeah. said he's yeah. betting that Kelsey comes, that Jason comes back. I he's feel gonna be in like Brazil. all
7: this
0: like new like found like him partying at these games and
9: seeing all like the. We need a farewell tour from Jason Kelsey, man. He can't just go. He needs, like, him and
1: BG have the same farewell tour. I have a I have a theory, though, that, that Jason and Travis are going to retire the same year because they're both first ballot Hall of Fame. Well, they've a podcast
9: now. They don't need to work. Oh, it's a huge podcast. Yeah. Did they need to work in the first place? <laughs> they, these guys didn't need to work in the first place. They had Jason's recording
0: albums. Yeah. Uh, All right, Clay Harbor, I know you got a role. you got a lot of stuff to do. Where are you going? What's, like, your, what's your next uh, – you, you, you're doing the. I'm doing,
9: uh, I'm doing Believe Podcast and I'm going on Adam Rink's podcast called The Sick. And with later. Adam Rink. Later tonight, Craps Table. I'll probably hit some Craps, little Blackjack 21. You know, uh, <laughs> it's like the Eagles Blitz concepts, man. It's like they, they, <laughs> they got 18 and they're still hitting. I'm like, what are you guys doing, man? These are just some terrible decisions right here, but I, I mean, was- get better at the Blitz.
0: Well, it, yeah, definitely. Well, uh, draft season's here. I know you're all yeah. into the draft as well. So we'll talk to Clay throughout the uh, little off season here. It's oh good yeah, to see man. you I live got here. Dra- yeah,
9: I got some draft takes for. I, I want the Eagles to draft a mid round tight end this year. They're going to. Yeah. Well, this guy. is
0: exactly the year they drafted Goddard to replace Ertz. Yeah.
9: So it's that time. Yeah. You were a fourth round pick. Fourth round pick. Yeah. Yeah. It's a good spot to get a guy. Yeah, I think they could find. A, I got a guy from the Senior Bowl, Ben Sinnott. I think he's a guy that goes mid-round, a guy can block, he can catch, fell in love with him. Not a guy that's getting a lot of, uh, a lot of, uh, hype. hype? Yeah, there we go. What happens here
0: stays here. (laughs) Appreciate it, Mike. (laughs) Clay Harbor, everybody. Former Eagles tight end. Uh, kind enough to join us here on Radio Row on the sports bash. All right. We'll come back next hour. Uh, we got a very cool conversation. Um, the Lions won a playoff game this year. But before that, they had not won a playoff game until this man was the quarterback. Eric Kramer, former Lions QB, will join us coming up next here on Radio Row. Our coverage of Super Bowl 58 continues. Jersey. It's the Sports Bash, live from Mandalay Bay on Radio Row in Las Vegas, home of Super Bowl 58. Here's Mike Gill and Scott Grayson. All right, our final hour of the show, live on Radio Row. Super Bowl 58 will be on 97.3 ESPN. And of course, we're at the Mandalay Bay, thanks to our friends at Ernest and Sons old-fashioned butcher shop and Clark's moving and storage. Alright, we got another good hour for you. We're gonna kick it off. Like, I find this story of this type to be very cool and fascinating. Uh, Eric Kramer, former quarterback in the league. Now, in my age wheelhouse, I remember Eric played for a few teams, but Detroit, um, the Lions were such a cool story this year. Right. And I think us being Eagles fans, this is a very relatable and funny, unrelatable story all at the same time. Eric was the quarterback of the Lions the last time they won a playoff game until this year yeah and what year was that
10: (laughs) (laughs) as i'm told that was january 5th 1992 1992 is the last time the lions won a playoff
0: game and this man was their quarterback they finally won one Here in Philly, they want the coach fired after three straight playoff appearances. They went to the Super Bowl. Can you fathom that kind of (laughs) proliferous difference in how two different organizations operate?
10: Yes, I can. And that, that boils down to one thing. Fans get cocky. They don't know what the fudge it took to get there, and they don't know what the fudge it takes to stay there. And so in their eyes they're seeing this recent super bowl champion recent super bowl contender dismantle their own season and when you end the season where it starts out great but then ends on a over a cliff it's hard to be optimistic from that point on so i do somewhat get it um on the other hand you did bring up the lions which the year before was just the opposite. They started one and seven or eight or something. And it, it was during that time, Chris Spielman was a former uh, teammate of mine. And he's obviously with, uh, he's kind of the liaison between the owner, the upper management, the coaching staff and so forth. And I call him up and I said, how is it you guys are looking so good? And they're one in, man, not even 500. And he goes, this coaching staff is ridiculously good. And that's been the story all year, is that they're not just going to be good this year. They were good the last half. Of, they were good when they were losing. And their, it, their upper trajectory is unmistakable. And so when you contrast that versus what Philly did this year, and, you know, I, I kind of get it. But at the same time, they're a victim of their own success. Right. Meaning... They got pilfered along the way, meaning coaches left, players left. And so they're a shell of what that team was just two or three years ago. Right. I mean, so in 1992, you guys
0: win a playoff game. Barry gets there. Rodney gets hurt. You kind of take over. You win this playoff game. Why was it unsustainable? I mean, I just watched the Barry documentary. I think I have some answers. But why do you think that was not something that was not a sustainable – Uh, Reason and Barry was very compelling in there. Basically
10: said, I didn't think we could win anymore, so my heart wasn't (laughs) in it. Well, so when you make decisions based on things that don't matter, when you're building, like they put a good roster together. Uh, However, they started free agency was in 1992, so that's when everybody started to depart. So with the the Lions. So back then, there were three teams in the NFC that cared deeply about winning. Green Bay Packers, Dallas Cowboys, and the 49ers. The Lions weren't one of those. And so uh, when you're not acquiring – not only are you are not acquiring players, you're losing them. And like Barry was saying, what motivation did I have? So, you know – i had a guy who then was a in upper management and i'm i'm friends with it today but he was like yeah when we didn't offer you contract we didn't know we didn't know the next guy didn't have a ticker. well how do you not know that that's your freaking job yeah and so that's what happened so unlike this lion's organization this is sustainable because they're it's the process they're involved with like you don't even come in that building if you fit if you don't fit the mold of the football player they're looking for you uh you must have had a great
1: view of of what barry could do i what was it like playing with him handing it off and then just sitting back and watching him do his thing
10: yeah i mean there's more (laughs) there's hundreds of times where Barry gets the handoff and somebody's unblocked, like, in his lap. After the play, he didn't touch Barry. (laughs) And so that was... I've never seen that before and I've never seen it since. Uh He was Um, special. In a way that nobody ever has been. Uh, And, you know, on the other hand, though, um, so, like, I went from Detroit to Chicago, all right? And so we our, our running game was the Cowboys running game. Barry's not going to run power up. Uh, he's not going to run. You know, we, we basically had two running plays. We had to the tight end called Belly, which is basically a one-back run with no lead blocker. We had an off-tackle slant to the weak side. So we had Belly, slant, and power up. That was our running game. That was Dallas Cowboys running game. Barry's not running that. No, there's (laughs) no way in hell. Uh Uh-huh. So, for what he did, there will never be anybody as good. Never. Well... Yes,
0: just the uniqueness of the way he ran, and just the stature, and the spins, and the uh, it almost like the intuition he had of of like when to make his moves, and he
10: was never wrong. Yeah, like I mean, it's amazing. I remember John Madden talking about him. He says, "Okay, in Barry's neighborhood, you know how everyone plays tag? Well, this guy was never it."
0: well you know obviously and and eric kramer's our guest he's got a book uh, that we want to talk about too it's called the ultimate comeback and we're going to let him tell a little bit about uh his book and his story but you know that lions team that won and you're seeing this lions team now those are the kind of fun sports stories that captivate a city before you came on you were saying like if they were playing in this game and they were to win this game like how important that is now, you spent three seasons, give four, or take, in, in, in Detroit. Yeah. Um, you know, so not like you were there for 15 years. But to win that last playoff game, you got a small taste of what that means to a football city and a community. We're in Philly. We can sell it. When they won that Super Bowl, the place went upside down, inside out. But I said, I couldn't imagine being in a fan base that's waited thirty years to just win a playoff game, let alone the Super Bowl. One playoff game. So, what is it like as a player who kind of knows mm-hmm. the, the 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 feeling of the whole city just dying to get that game for you?
10: Um, it's pretty special, it, it, uh, and I shouldn't say pretty. It is special. So it's you because people have generations have gone by. Without a playoff win happening, not even a home game, and uh, or the or the Lions even being relevant, and so, but they were it was relevant to them when they were kids, and so now you've got people that are in their you know sixties that got they're like thank God, and like I was talking about, had the Lions won the game against San Francisco, and then which they should have, which and then go on to win this game that's coming up Sunday. Uh, I'm not sure the, the day after the Super Bowl there'd be a city of Detroit anymore. Yeah, like that place would be torched. It's unbelievable
0: to think about. It though. is like it's still crazy to be like that's the first
10: playoff win since yeah. Eric Kramer played quarterback. Yeah, because you think not it's, that we're old. I mean, we're no, still young men. No, no, no. <laughs> but I'm just saying, like, you know, you think it's gonna last, and but the, you know that that's what makes it not last is what what happens from the top on down and and the, the 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 unfortunate part is that they haven't had a good top on down until now so these last 3 years have been building to now so this team isn't going anywhere meaning away yeah so you you've got this book here the ultimate
1: it's title, The Ultimate Comeback, the subtitle, Surviving a Suicide Attempt, Conquering Depression, and Living with a Purpose. And I think a lot of people forget athletes are human beings, too. Mm. Uh, you guys have lives that you live outside yeah. of the football field. Talk about this book, what made you want
10: to write it, and all the different things you went through that, that, that are in here. So I think it started out as a book talking about my depression, uh, which I'm not is not unique to me, um, how... It led, it was actually something I dealt with while playing, not every year, but occasionally. And then there was a series of tragic events uh, ultimately that started with uh, my mom getting cancer. Mm. Um, the day after, she found out the day after Mother's Day in 2011, after saying, Oh, I'm just going to go in for some tests, I'm going to receive some test results back. And I said, What test? And she says, oh, I just haven't been feeling too good. Oh, okay. Well, the next day I get a phone call and she's got stage four mm. uterine cancer. So there was some radical surgery that was done where they removed, you know, a few partial parts of her organs and she survived it. Um, and then, <clears throat> um, uh, had, had relapsed. Meaning, she got some neuropathy, and um, and it was right about that time that Griffin passed away from heroin overdose. So that and it wasn't just that day. I mean, this was six, Griffin. By the way, was your son? My son at eighteen. This was six or seven or more years in the making, and and then around the time. Uh, Griffin passed away, which was the end of 2011, my dad, uh, who I really wasn't close with much of my life, uh, and you know, you think you have someone kind of in a box. Well, you don't. And so uh, he had some untreated um, uh, acid reflux, for those of you out there that are listening, that went untreated and became esophageal cancer. Jeez. Mm. So there's no coming back from that. I, I It's funny. You, no, not
0: funny, but it, I, mean, I thought you were going to say, like, uh, sleep apnea. People who have the acid reflux sometimes end up having sleep apnea. That obviously much more yeah. um, serious. Boy. Yeah.
10: And so I was at an age where I was over 50. I want to say I was 51, 52, something like that. Yeah. And it just felt to me... Like there was more subtraction than addition going on, and these aren't, you know, when I look back now, when I, at the time, these are not legit, these are not logical thoughts, right? You're not in your right mind. This isn't what you think about every day. Depression has a way of zapping you of that aerial view of your life, um, so you start to draw inward and. Your your own counsel, which leads to not good thoughts mm. and not good planning, which is what I did. I planned to take my own life and then executed it. Fortunately, I wasn't successful. And so the book deals with that. It deals with the relationship that I had with my parents, which at first was not good with either one. But then over time, realizing that, hey, they weren't raised perfect either. And over time, I found a way to communicate with both of them. And, uh, and then it talks about, you know, my relationship with both of my sons and overcoming obstacles along the way to even get into the NFL mm. or even college for that matter. And, and so anyway, there's just, I think this speaks to a lot of folks out there. At least that's the feedback I've been getting. Whether it be from people I've known forever or people I've never known at all, mm. and um, and so that that's what makes me feel good about what's out there now and what's coming, which is you know kind of transitioning from um, writing a book and 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 uh, getting it out there to speaking about it. Uh, Eric Kramer is our guest. Uh, and, of course,
0: uh, as, as Scott mentioned, the book is called The Ultimate Comeback. And uh, certainly, yes, if you're somebody out there dealing with mental health issues or something, uh, this is a book. In fact, uh, some of the quotes in there, Barry Sanders said, I'm proud to see what Eric's doing with his second chance at life. This book will help a lot of people, and it's, it's powerful to hear, hear something like that. Former uh, Eagle. Rodney Pete, yep. of course, the former lion. I yep. uh, said, as men, we often don't talk about our mental health. Eric has reminded us that seeking help is not a sign of weakness, but an act of strength. And, you know, in the NFL back then, probably tougher, different yep. world today. True. You know, as you said, during, you know, sometimes you had those, uh, you know, uh, depression issues while you're playing. Right. And I guess, you know, uh, Eric was for those out there listening. Uh, w- you were not a 16 game starter your entire career. Sometimes yeah. just standing on the sideline with with the idle thoughts probably is is difficult uh, to say.
10: Well, why am I not playing? Or how can I get more playing? Sure, time? yeah, sure. And but I think you know, like I mentioned before, there's something. My story is one of a lot of people's, which is where I'm not the obvious guy you would pick first in the neighborhood pickup game or in high school, or in college, or whatever. But there's a way to overcome all that too. There's a mindset that comes with, okay, I think you're wrong. And that that has served me well inside and outside of football. Well, by the way, the one time you
0: were a 16-game <laughs> starter, he threw for almost 4,000 yards and 30 touchdowns, 29 touchdowns. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, he had a tremendous – that was a Bears year.
10: That's right. And, uh, you know, like I, I've got a website now, erickramer 12com and as I mentioned before, you know, this is going to start transitioning into uh, – I, I love speaking about this matter. Uh, all matters that contain They're not only in this book, but outside. And uh, eventually there's going to be, after the Super Bowl, more information about that.
1: Yeah, I was going to say, it seems like the NFL really is paying a lot more attention to mental health. We even had Lane Johnson in Philadelphia, miss some games uh, while he was dealing with it. Yeah. Um, so is that the future? Is that what's coming? More I hope where it is. is.
10: I hope it is. And, and because it's something that, you know, we can all see if you've got a broken leg. You can't always see what's going on inside of somebody. And the fact that it takes somebody to say, you know what? If you've got some issues to deal with, we're good with you dealing with them. In fact, we'll even provide your assistance to get that help. Mm. The Charger season ticket holder too. Oh
0: yeah. It, you know our uh so from our hometown Greg Roman. Yeah. He's gonna be we don't know this officially yet, but right. he's gonna be the offensive coordinator.
10: I shh, yeah right. Don't tell anybody. <laughs> you excited about Harbaugh? I am, and and uh, my one year in San Diego, we were roommates in training camp. Okay, and so uh, yeah, I'm obviously he's put together great programs wherever he's been, and and I think he's he'll put another one together in San. Di- I was going to say San Diego. Yeah. right in Los Angeles. Mm. So. Well, Eric Kramer uh, is our
0: guest here, and uh, the book's called The Ultimate Comeback. For those of you listening out there uh, who want to read the book, and if you're somebody who uh, is struggling with that, pick up the book, read it, and Eric Kramer was our guest here, and um, it's good to see the Lions are back. 30 right home, years baby. later. <laughs> and uh, here we the are. War is restored. <laughs> Thank you so much, Eric. Thank you, guys. Uh, Eric Kramer, our conversation brought to you by Ernest and Sons Old Fashioned Butcher Shop in Brigantine. Clark's moving in storage. And of course, right here on Radio Row, Mandalay Bay, Vegas, baby. Uh, we'll be back. Uh, when we come back, uh, former NFL GM, uh, Mike Lombardi, a local guy, Ocean City, uh, he will join us as a gm what's the blueprint for howie roseman what's his first move to fix the eagles that's next stick around it's the sports from mandalay bay on radio row in las vegas home of super bowl 58 here's mike gill and scott grayson all right mike and scott we're live on radio row here in vegas mandalay bay we're all kind of Hitting that weird time where uh, our minds are playing tricks on us. And so is our next guest, Mike Lombardi, Ocean City's own. There you go. The former GM. Got a new book out, Football Done Right. We'll hear about that. I want to uh, get into a lot of football topics, but uh, we're all on that struggle bus on the east coast <laughs> five thirty on a east coast it's only 2 30 here we're starting to feel you've been out here longer than us though
7: yeah i got here on saturday night late and so yeah i'm kind of getting used to it but you got it you know you're gonna <laughs> you got to you got to get that five hour energy drink in you
0: oh boy um so we've been kind of saying you know obviously you you were a gm in this league and we saw what happened to uh, our our beloved eagles the people in the audience yeah. so we said we got a guy who was a gm you look at the eagles so if you are Howie Roseman right now, what's your first order of business this offseason?
7: Well, you gotta get faster on defense. You're slow, you're old on defense, you can't cover anybody. Uh, you know, I think that's, that, and you gotta get your players that are good players to play at a better level. Jordan Davis didn't play the level that they need to. Carter kind of faded out towards the end of the year. So, uh, you know, when you, when you're in the football business, you're a little bit of like you're a veterinarian. You're a, you have to do, the patient doesn't scream what's wrong with you right that you don't bring your dog into the vet station and say hey you know my dog says i got a paw problem you know you got to do a diagnostic test and the eagles have some issues in terms of what their scheme was they were running they have issues in terms of the players that were playing within the scheme and then the coaching within the scheme so those are the three areas players coaches and scheme and if you're howie you got to break the game down that way and then the conditioning of the team You know, were they in shape at the end of the year? I I didn't think they were. I thought that they were out of shape. Uh, You know, they weren't the same team early in the year. So I think there's a lot to go through. It's just not, it's never one thing that goes wrong with a team.
0: So is the first step an impressive step, Vic Fangio, Kellen Moore?
7: Well, I think Vic's a huge get for them, right? Because Vic is a guy that is very creative he can play a, you know, he, he's very good at disguising his coverage. He knows what he wants. He'll be very dogmatic in approach in terms of telling he what he needs to be, a, what he needs within his framework of his defense. And he'll utilize the skill set of the defense effectively. The Kellen Moore one for me, I kid, I always call Kellen Moore my podcast joystick because, you know, Kellen is a, like he's operating with Madden in the basement. You know, he's going to call the game. Kellen has never really managed the game from a three-dimensional way. He's creative, no question. But I think he's got a, a, a little different problem here in the sense, not a problem, He's he's got to build an offense around Jalen Hurts. This you, this can't be Kellen Moore's offense. This can't be Kellen Moore's going to run the team. We're going to call the same plays we call for Dak that we're going to call for, for, for Jalen Hurts. It's not going to be the same plays we call for Justin Herbert for Jalen Hurts. What one of the great things that I thought Sirianni did, and obviously Steichen did, was develop the six-back offense with Hertz and utilize his skill set as a runner. And I think that you're going to have to continue down that road.
1: Mike, when you look at what happened with the Eagles from ten and one all the way down to what it ended the season as uh, a collapse, what's that like for a general manager? All right, what was Howie going through as as that team was going through all that? And was there anything he could have done? uh that as a gm while, while that's happening it's a
7: hard thing to do right so the hardest thing to do in any sport whether you're the 76ers gm or whether you're the eagles gm is to figure out why you win and why you lose and so what i think the fans only look at the scoreboard we won, right okay that's great but there's three levels of winning in every win right there's the dominating win where you dominate the game and the last time they had a dominating win was against the bucks in week three okay they dominated that game. Since that game, they had a lot of what we would call what we would call dictating wins where the game didn't go quite in the game and they dictated it late in the game, the Washington games, right? You know, we saw a lot of dictating wins. And those are wins that you have problems within your framework or your team that you have to fix or else they're going to creep up on. And then there's the dangerous wins, the wins you win that you really had no business playing, right? <laughs> And they, had a lot, and they had a few of them too, right? Yeah. And so if you don't break up the wins in those three categories, you're going to continually be intoxicated by the wins. The great Jackson Brown has a great line in one of his songs. He says, we forget about the losses and we exaggerate the wins. When you do that in the NFL, you make a lot of mistakes. And I think Howie's challenge is how do we get better during the season when we know where the problems are and how do we fix it? If we wait till March to fix our problems, we're not going to be in the playoffs. Mm.
0: Uh, talking with Mike Lombardi, a former NFL GM. So I would ask you: You know how the fans think that the GM goes tells the coaches this is how it's going to be done. You know
7: that's baseball. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> that's uh, basketball.
0: Do you, as a GM, go in and have a conversation with the coach? Uh, many people look at Sirianni's role. What do you do? Well, they only want him because they can tell him what to do. What to do?
7: I think the only two people in every organization. You think about it. The only two people in every organization that are that are de- the winning is determined their job security are the GM and the head coach. Everybody else can get jobs. Kellen Moore didn't make the playoffs. Kellen Moore's offense was not as good as Joe Lombardi's offense the year before, but Kellen Moore's an offense coordinator again. So winning really didn't matter for Kellen Moore. Now he didn't get any head coaching interviews, but it really didn't matter. You know, so his job isn't dependent on yard. His job isn't dependent on anything other than getting yards, scoring points. He'll get another job. Howie's job is dependent on winning, because Glory's going to judge the wins and losses. And maybe Howie's in a separate category. because See, of the he Royce. feels like
0: a guy who has a lifetime contract. Yeah, maybe
7: <laughs> he's in a separate category. I don't know. But I think that's ultimately what it comes down to. Now, the GM, it's really hard to control the game from the GM chair. Look, I'll say this to you. I worked for Al Davis for 10 years. Al Davis knows more football than any human being did, including Howie, And he couldn't control the game from the GM chair. He couldn't go tell the coach, this is what I want.
0: But Does Howie get more rope to make mistakes because he knows his job is not dependent on getting every single decision right? Well, every decision in, in scouting is never going to be right. But, well, that's what I'm saying. I mean, it just seems that everybody it, says, well, you say, got well, this right, you got Sirianni that wrong. Zariani
7: would get roped. Zariani's going to get roped too. You know, you're all, everybody gets a little rope. The reality of it is, is, I mean, I don't think Jeffrey's the kind of owner who's going to fire somebody off of one mistake. We all make mistakes. I mean, you know, look. You know, I mean, look—if you're going to fire them, they they, picked—you know—they—they—they picked Rieger over Jefferson. I mean, Mm. that's a critical mistake, but they've overcome it. You're going to overcome. Look, they signed Wentz to a huge contract, and they overcame that. I mean, so you got to take the good with the bad, right? But he
0: seems like he can operate more freely because he knows he's a he, he. That the owner understands you're going to make mistakes, so you're not going to get fired for making
1: mistakes.
7: Well, but I think the owner understands that the same thing with the coach. Yeah. But he also, I see? think the owner understands it's your job to fix the problems.
1: You mentioned uh, Wentz and, and how they got out from under that. You hear people, it's one year, but it was a regression for Jalen Hurts. What did you see out of Jalen Hurts versus uh, last year versus this year, and can he become that guy he was two years ago?
7: You know, I saw a guy that really, I, I thought he was hesitant with the ball you know I thought that the 6 back offense was really good for him but I thought that it wasn't the same I didn't see the same explosiveness in him Mm -hmm. I, I didn't feel like he was as fast or as explosive with the ball in his hands and I think the rush started to get to him I think his eye level went down I think he was worried about it. I mean, we saw what Bosa said, right? Bosa said, hey, if you just, you know, we weren't going to rush him up the field. We we're going to try to move around and make him run. I think Martindale did a really good job against him because Martindale forced him to his left. So, but one thing about Hurts that I respect about him is he wants to get better. Like, I know he wants to get better, and I think he's trying to get better. But there's a, there's a book out on him now, right? There's a book about, hey, bring pressure from his left, right? Bring pressure from his right. Force him to his left you know, force him to look at the rush. And then I think the Eagles got away from really what the signature was two years ago, which was they ran the football effectively. And that offensive line wasn't the same this year as it was last year. It's human nature, right? You win, you go to the Super Bowl, it's hard to climb the mountain again.
0: Now, if at 10-2 and two, your head coach came to you, I don't know that you believe that the head coach came to the GM and said, I want to fire my defensive coordinator, would you say, go for it?
7: Well, no, I would, I would say, okay, well, why do we want to fire him? Okay. Have you asked him to change what he was doing, and he's not doing it? Uh, is the problem player related? Is it communication related? The only way you're making that move is if you understand what the problems are, right? And you have to analyze the problems not simply by, I want to make a change. Like, give me the reasons why we're going to make, is there a failure to communicate? Is there a lack of under, is there a lack of attention to detail in the meeting room? So the player's not paying attention. That all that comes into effect before you say, yeah, let's go ahead and do it. Now, if he has control over the coaching staff, it's his call. You know, I, I've never, I've never, as a GM of a team, I never had that authority, right? I never was able, I wasn't over the coach. I worked for Belichick. You know, I worked for him. I didn't tell him what to do, right? That, And I love that. That was my role, and that's what I love, and that's the way the NFL has to be to me to be ultimately it, so Is that it
0: part. that way, though? Bill's not getting the job is
7: it changing Well, you're here in you're here in Las Vegas, okay? Who runs the 49ers? Uh John Lynch. No, he doesn't. <laughs> not a chance. Well, right. No, he doesn't. No he doesn't. He's not even in his contract. It's Kyle Shanahan is in the contract. He makes every decision. So Kyle Shanahan the head coach is uh, Who runs the 49ers? Um, who runs the who runs the Chiefs?
1: Andy Reid. Andy Reid.
7: Of course. Yeah. So what's the model that's been winning? Who this game has got 2K. I work for the man. Bill Walsh. My first job in the NFL was worked for Bill Walsh. He designed the organizational structure that we're watching on the field today. Yeah. It was an organizational structure that the head coach is the ultimate power base if he's qualified. Yeah. I mean, I would not allow Nick Sirianni to run my organization from top to bottom like Bill Walsh did. I get that. Yeah. And I think the Eagles do a wonderful job of supplementing them and supporting him, like they did with Peterson. I mean like they did with peterson they really helped peterson out and then when peterson didn't want any help and he fought him then it was not going to work anymore
0: now when you heard the sirianis going in for a meeting (laughs) with you know jeffrey and how did you think that was going to turn out this guy's toaster
7: no i thought that if if he presented a really comprehensive plan to jeffrey about how what was wrong with the team what he failed to do take responsibility for his actions what he's going to do to fix the problems and what's the solutions moving forward i think that was what jeffrey was looking to hear
0: uh michael football done right setting the record straight on coaches players in the history of the nfl you just actually gave us a little history of the nfl how these teams are run right now the niners are a historic franchise in well, the and nfl they, and
7: they got away from it so we got to clear when they when when jed york hired Jim Harbaugh, Trent Baalke was in charge of the organization, okay? Yep. I interviewed for the GM job. I was very close with Jim, and it became down between Baalke and me for the job. Baalke got the job because he was already in the building, and he didn't have a relationship with Harbaugh, and everybody thought that I would just rubber stamp anything Harbaugh wanted to do, which is not true, but that's okay. So after three years, there became conflict between Harbaugh and Baalke. Because they didn't see eye-to-eye on everything, which happens in the NFL when the coach and the GM aren't linked together, okay? And so they fired—Jim went to Michigan. He wanted to leave. Jim goes to Michigan. They put Jim Tomasula in charge, and Balky's still running the team. They fire Tomasula after a year. They hired Chip Kelly, and Balky's still in charge. After that experiment failed— they fired Balky, they fired Kelly, and they basically went back to the Forty Nine er model, which was Walsh. They put Kyle in charge. Kyle hired John John Lynch, and life goes on.
0: There you go. It's all in the history of the game.
7: Everything's in the history of the game. Like this game, that there's all history. This is you know both offenses are are West Coast origin. They come from that.
0: Uh, that's one thing that I think you saw this year is that that spread college style teams are starting to get away from it a little bit because defensives have now adjusted to it
7: right so i think we're going to see more of a two-back look. yeah i think we're going to see more of the old west coast coming back and so what has andy Reid done over the last since christmas day when he got embarrassed by the raiders when the raiders completed one pass after the first quarter what has he done since then he's gone back to old school Really, Alex Smith, West Coast offense. Quick passes, get the ball out, protect his offensive line, run the football more. Pacheco averaged 14 carries during the regular season per game. He's up to 21 in the postseason. You ever watch him play quarterback at Vineland? I did not, but I was <laughs> proud of him that he's from Vineland, yeah. I can tell you that.
0: Um, if you're
7: Chicago, what are you doing? Oh, I don't think that's a hard question at all. I'm drafted a quarterback. Have you watched Fields play? Have you watched him the average 6 I'm not a
0: big Fields fan. Well, but you don't have to be. Is it enticing to, to to get
7: Let me ask you this question.
0: The picks, that's
7: me, all. Well, the picks are great. Well, you also have the unknown of whether he wants to play for you. Well, I, that's ridiculous. I mean, where's he going to go? The, this, Elway, Elway threatened to go to baseball. You know why he threatened to go to baseball? Because he didn't want the Colts to pick him. You know who's orchestrating that whole threat to go to baseball? Al Davis. Al Davis and Steinbrenner were best friends. And so the Yankees drafted Elway. Al thought he had Elway. That's a whole I, I kinda leave that chapter out of was my saying, book. Is that in the book? No, I had to leave that whole chapter out. There's too many words. <laughs> it's a true story. Al thought he had a deal. Al thought traded up with Chicago, was gonna get a high pick and then trade that pick to Baltimore or Elway. And and it got really he got duped by Marvin Demoff and he got duped by John John Beak, the general manager of the Denver. Uh, I think to me, you know, when you when you look at the, the league and you see how it all goes, I think it always comes full circle.
0: It feels like it. It feels like something's changing, doesn't it? Like right now, it feels well, like... you can't league.
7: keep going RPO. They all they all know how he's going to play the RPO. Look, you know, I think Hurt belongs under center a little bit. What's the only play the quarterback blocks somebody?
0: The only play the quarterback blocks somebody. I don't know if I've ever been asked this question.
7: Okay, well, I'm going to give you the answer. The, the, the only End the round? No. The, the, he he kind of doesn't get in the way. The only play a quarterback actually blocks somebody is on a bootleg or a naked. Because when a quarterback's under center and he and he fakes the handoff on the outside zone and he rolls away from the play, the defensive lineman who's on that side has to run with him. There you go. So he's taking he's capturing one for one. Remember football's chess on grass. So if you you know, you have to be able to understand in a running game, all you're trying to do is get a half a man advantage. You're not trying to get one man advantage, you're trying to get half a man. In the passing game, you're trying to get an advantage on the on the triangle. So when you put them under center and you run fakes bootlegs, you're basically allowing a seven-man front, an eight-man front to become a seven-man front.
0: All right, Mike Lombardi. It's interesting stuff. I, I'm, yeah, as I'm thinking of that question, I'm like, you know what? Yeah. Now you're painting yeah. the picture of it happening, and I'm like... All right, now I can see what well, you're the problem about. with
7: our sport is. We don't really do a good job of teaching our sport on television.
0: Well, you're on TV a lot. You can see Mike on the uh, Pat McAfee Show. Another fine I'm WVU on. grad. You've been on a lot. I see you every week.
7: I'm on that show. I have my own show, the Lombardi Line, which I film. I do out of Ocean City. It's on every day from 1 to 3 on VEASAN and DraftKings Network. And then I have my podcast, GM Shuffle.
0: All over the place. Ocean Signed City's own. Michael yeah. Lombardi. Maybe
7: I'll get my book in the Ocean City bookstore. I was actually out. wondering. <laughs>
0: is it in a, one of the Ocean City bookstores? Booktopia? In that book, I can't get it in that bookstore. <laughs> Come on. Some,
7: no, I swear to God, I can't get it in that, I've never had a book signing there. Two uh, books.
0: Unbelievable.
1: Yeah, that's unreal.
0: Well, it's the truth. It is. Enjoy Vegas, man. Thank you, guys. Michael Lombardi, <laughs> <Thank> everybody. <laughs> former GM in the NFL and of course kind enough to join us here on the Sports Bash Live on 97.3 ESPN. The book is called Football Done Right, setting the record straight on the coaches, players and history of the NFL. That's some fascinating stuff yeah, there. I that, like the I uh, love the inside football stuff there. And, 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 Well, and you know, guy who was a GM in the league kind of giving <laughs> you some sure. perspective on how GMs kind of operate and what they're looking at. I like this answer though, like but that's the difference between the Eagles and some would say that's the difference he said who runs the Niners yeah and I said John Lynch he said nah. no nope. and a lot of Eagles fans think the problem is of who's running and who's running the, is the Eagles is yeah. it, do you want Nick Sirianni running or do you want but you don't want to give Nick Sirianni the keys to the car do you that's what he said I'm not yeah. he said he's not ready for that no no no
1: no, no. I know I, yeah, yeah.
0: Uh, Listen, I'm fine with the way the Eagles are operating. I don't have a – like, you can't really – we were just talking to Eric Kramer. They won one No,
1: but the the problem with the way they're operating that way is as you win, somebody's going to want more power, and eventually you're going to have to say no. All right, we're going
0: to wrap up the show on the other side. Here on the Sports Bash Live, 97.3 ESPN. It's the... Sp- Live from Mandalay Bay on Radio Row in Las Vegas, home of Super Bowl 58. Here's Mike Gill and Scott Grayson. Hi, uh, Mike and Scott here at Radio Row finishing up the show. We're joined by the book, Dave Sharapan. You hear him weekly on The Locker Room with Billy
11: Schwein. And we just we ran into him at the book last night. How about that? Got to go see a guy about a thing at the book. Yeah. (laughs) I do that all the time on the socials, and I actually got to go meet you for the first time. First time. I tried to get out of town before the plane landed because Billy's been trying to get me. Yeah. Non-stop chasing me down, Mike. <laughs> I couldn't get out of town, so well, we hung out, watched the game. Yeah, you guys, watched the you know, Golden Knights win. Night. Yeah, it was good. Now Grayson yeah. was on the flight at oh, that yeah. point. Grayson, how was your flight? Everything bumpy? Was smooth, uh, yeah, bumpy. It's, well, it was weather's been bad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We might see the sun today, boys. Hopefully, but I, I had to my the
0: Yeah, my lot was on the flight with him. Six foot eight. 370-pound yeah. man sitting yeah. on an
1: American Airlines flight. Yeah. Wow. So he flew first class. Yeah, he had to. Oh, okay. He had to. I was the only seat to fit in. Sat next to you? No, he was two rows oh, in front. Oh, 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 yeah. okay. Okay, I was, oh. Okay, no, no. I,
11: I was not first class. Okay. Did you guys bring the bags, like, to take to the book to make your bets, or are you <laughs> just going to wait until you go home and make the bets on the Super one? No bets yet, but there was a man last night who lost a bet and got his head shaved. He's sitting right there. I can't believe it. Those guys from Albany. You said, look, these guys we met, we hung out, and they were doing whatever. They were they were cheering the Golden Knights. I knew they had a they good bet night the game, just right? Yeah. But then he, he had hair yesterday. Yeah. I went over and I said, "Is it that bad? You lost your hair too? What the? I've seen a lot of things happen in Vegas over yeah. the years, but the guy had hair yesterday.
0: I know. So, Dave is uh, our guest, and he was with us last night, and these two guys that work at an Albany station were with us. And I said, Dave, the guy lost his hair last night.
11: <laughs> he had hair last night, ah, this guy. Oh. I wish he could hear us right now, because I went over tapped him on the shoulder. I said, did you lose your hair last night? And the other guy fell over when he heard it He was laughing. You should give him That's, your hat. Uh, yeah. Right? Uh, 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 it, that's a big head. I don't know if yeah, you're yeah, that's this true. one might fit though. That's a
10: you know.
0: I, well, I was on the airplane right out here on Spirit. Nice flight. Not a lot of complaints. But the tight. man The man sitting next to me was about the size of those two gentlemen. Really? So I didn't have a lot of room on that flight. Well, I'm you're a big man. A bit tight. Right I'm there. a big man myself. But uh, the, the guy, but he got to the seat before I did. Oh, so he established he position. Yes. Established position. Yeah. There's
11: a there's a whole protocol for the flights. If he get there first. You establish position. It's hard to it's hard to get that elbows in there. So we're on a Wednesday. Yeah. What's the Wednesday read so far on this game? So uh, I've had a lot of people on all week. Okay. Nobody in the media has picked the Niners. Nobody. All we've had shows Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. We do it every day, Monday through Friday. Nobody last week was picking the Niners. Well, everybody's at the point where I'm not picking against Mahomes. Correct. Yeah. And we actually want to award people when they come on our show and say that. Like, jokingly, to make it light, because everyone has said it. There's the parlay, I can't bet against Mahomes. Or I already did, and I'm not doing it again. Fair. But uh we had a couple guys on today who were Philly guys. Uh Philly Godfather, a couple other people. Yeah, Philly Godfather. Yeah, you know that guy? Oh, yeah. He knows guys, too. <laughs> 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 they all played the Niners. Niners minus two. Wow. They all laid one. They when that line went down. They hammered They nailed it. six figure bets. All the big money is on Niners. All the fun grocery dollars the general people they're on the, the Chiefs. Um over under 47 and a half too. I like over, boys. Yeah,
0: I feel I
1: like don't points. Know. I feel like points. I feel points. points. Yeah.
11: You know, missed field goals in a touchdown or a turnover in the end zone to go under. Otherwise, what size hat are you? 7 and 5 ace? <laughs> 7 you got a big head. Mike <laughs> That hat right there will fit
0: me fine. I know <laughs> you got to be a seven and five ace. Uh, Dave Sherpin, you can hear him on the locker room. Thanks you going to get up for him this voice. weekend? Nah, I don't think so. Man. I don't think so either. It's a pick. Em. I told him to record with you. Do your favor. He Go won't do it. I know. He's Should we do that? Ways.
11: Of course you can. Let's do that, Billy.
0: All right, sports fans. Thanks, nice, Josh. Have a great night, everybody.